Test All it? right, take two. Okay. Take two. <laughs> no, no testing this time. We did testing the last time. Or else I we didn't know. know if it would stick. No, it's it's fine. Actually. All right. That should be better. Okay. So we're good. Yep. All right. Yeah, so last recording was a bust. Yeah, we tried. And um, we're watching my parents' dog. So she's been a little whiner, complainer. She really wanted to go outside. And um, she wasn't leaving us alone. So we had to take care of her. And we just decided to start over again. So, Hi. Uh, it's been a while for me. Uh, I wasn't on the last podcast. No, but you could have been. I definitely invited you. I know. I know. But I wanted the boys to have their time. So um, I was okay with it. Plus, I felt like I think you told me what the topic was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ugh, that's a little deep for me. So I was like, I'm good. I'll wait. <laughs> if you listen to the episode, it was not that deep. Oh, really? It was not that <laughs> you deep. You should probably listen to that <laughs> podcast then. Oh, it's funny. But yeah, I wasn't there last time, but I'm here this time, and I'm actually really looking forward to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll, this will be good. But uh, I guess we should do our traditional uh, check-in, life check-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just been really busy. I don't know how else to say it. We've just been very, very busy. Yep, summertime, so um so I'm working most days. And you've been working most days. Uh yeah, Monday through Friday. Yep, same well, Monday through Saturday ideally, though I don't think I don't think I've had a full week yet, which is a little aggravating. But it is what it is. Yeah. I mean but you also have like stuff you could be doing like for school, reading and stuff. Yeah, but last week or so I haven't really been doing it. So but well, I don't know what to tell you on that, but... Yeah, that's just me. Yeah. Everyone needs some downtime, though, you know? Yeah, I just... Uh, I need to have more variety in my readings. Yeah. And I kind of just, like, focus on the same thing, because I just want to get through this one bit of reading, and uh, uh, I just got tired of it. Yeah. Well, and that's okay. You get, like I said, you get bored. Yeah, so I, I really just I just need to switch it up is all I need to do. Yeah, it'll be all right. Yeah, but yeah, it's just been busy. Yeah. Um, we've both been working, but like what maybe ten ish hours. Yeah, about ten hour, ten to twelve hours a day. Yeah, both of us. So it's just you know not a lot of time in the day. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And I'm trying this whole wake up at five o'clock thing so I can try to hit up the gym in the morning, which is, that's just a work in progress. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it's going good. Our garden is doing pretty good. We've realized that, um, you know, we still need to do a lot of learning and educating ourselves on how to actually do a garden. Yeah. We had our first... Kind of crop harvest. How rude. Garlic. Yeah. We okay. Okay. Garlic. Second. Second. Yeah. Yeah. We had some garlic and um, we kind of had carrots. 
they did not turn out as well as we hoped, but... We planted too many and then too small a space. Yeah, yeah. We are learning from our mistakes, and I think that's what matters. Like, we are just living in a temporary house. Mm-hmm. So this is all preparation for when, you know, ideally we get our own place and we can do whatever we want on our land. And, you know, we just learn from it. So I think that's, you know, that's the thing to take away is that we're just learning from every experience we do. Um, yeah, right we're now. We're good at growing ginger. I'm not <laughs> sure if we're good at growing ginger and ginger's is good at growing itself. I <laughs> yeah, because it's just exploded. It is. I planted. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I think in the last recording attempt, you said we had like seven stalks. I think we have more than that now, and about half of those are huge. Yeah. Well, so like, like it probably between two and three feet high. Well, what's wild is I planted it at the right time of the year originally, and then remember we randomly got all of that like freezing weather, and so because a stalk was growing, and then it kind of died because it it got too cold. And then I basically what I did was I dug it up the actual ginger because it's a root, and then I kind of yeah clipped, it, it grew a little bit yeah well I clipped off the mushy part of the stem that basically was having a hard time making a comeback, and then I split one root in half, and I think I I think I replanted four or five pieces of ginger that already had like little stubs growing so um you better not spill that on the couch i'm not gonna spill it um but yeah it it was doing okay until the frost came and now it's just it has just exploded which i'm very happy with and it's a really cool plant like i really think that we should probably plant some in the house just to have a plant yeah, they I didn't make, realize. I didn't realize they grew the way they did. Yeah, they make good house plants. Apparently, I just thought it would be cool to try to grow our own ginger. It's so healthy for you. You can put it in just about anything. Yeah, I mean, from the looks of it, we'll have plenty of it. Yeah, so that'll be exciting. Um, the potatoes are doing well. Yeah, my second attempt at potatoes. Yeah. Which. It, I really hope I, I like potatoes, so I really hope they work <laughs> out this time. Yeah, um, we're contemplating planting some sweet potatoes right next door. Haven't fully decided if we're gonna do that or not. Um, yeah, but that's doing well. Our cantaloupe plants are doing really, really well. I'm not sure if anything has actually taken yet, um, but those are doing super good. Avi, our avocado plants. Uh, he got a new pot yesterday. He basically outgrew his older pot, the original one that I planted in as a seed. And um, his roots were really, like, condensed. So I gave him a bigger pot, and he's looking really good. Everything else I think is just doing good. It's just that we've been having a shit ton of rain. So, you know, it's just a, just a work in progress, honestly. Yeah. Someone went from being really hot, and now the last couple weeks has been really wet. Yeah. I mean, to to Louisiana's <clears throat> defense, it is kind of like the rainy season, if you will. Yeah. Well, it's the... Hurricane hur- season. Hurricane and- season's been underway for about a month now. Yeah. So. But, um... Yeah, so we're getting, we're getting all the, all the weather now. Yeah. All the humidity, the heat, and the rain. It's fun stuff. Yeah. I remember early on in the summer, I was talking to one of my uh, 
one of my buddies and he was visiting his folks in New Jersey for his birthday. And he's like, yeah, I hope you all enjoy the, the warm weather that's coming. I'm like, dude, it's already 90 degrees down here. Not even. I know up there it's I know up there it's still seventy. It's like a hundred <laughs> degrees. Because I was up there in May last year for another one of another of my buddy's weddings, and I was just shocked for it to be May and it was still in the sixties most of the time that I was up there. Yeah, that was. I wish that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it it sucks that it sucks that Louisiana has it so bad. And I remember I lived in Florida. For a handful of years, and I swear Louisiana's worse. Everyone's like, "Oh, Florida's so hot and humid." They have their own rainy season too. People that say that about Florida uh, don't spend a lot of time in Louisiana. Yeah, because like I, I guarantee you, Louisiana's ten times worse. The humidity the, level is so much Gulf, higher; it makes it worse. Of all the Gulf Coast states, I think Louisiana's weather is the most tropical. I think yeah. you can say. I would say. Oh, we have, I mean, like, Louisiana, um, oh, we have swamps and stuff. I mean, and I get Florida has, like, what I mean, is so, it, the I mean, wetlands or whatever? I mean, the Everglades. Yeah, the Everglades. I mean, Florida does, uh, I mean, all the Gulf Coast states do. Yeah. But I think Louisiana is a combination of exactly where we're at because we're kind of in that corner where the, where it's, where the Gulf is curving. Yeah. Gulf Coast is curving. Uh, along with the Mississippi River, yeah, and all that, it's just exceptionally bad where we live. I mean, it's just bad. It is just so bad. I would love to get out of the heat and humidity at one point. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see where we end up. But anyway, other than that, um, what else has been going on? We went shooting yesterday. No, that was, that was fun. a lot of fun. I went shooting earlier in the week with one of my other one of my boys, Andy. We went, yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. To go shooting. Yeah, and then we went yesterday, and um, we shot our new guns, our AKs. Yeah, our, our uh, brand new custom AKs finally came in. That was and fun. I'm, I'm very pleased with uh shout out to Meridian Defense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I knew the reputation that they make good quality uh, American-built AKs. And uh, I was not disappointed by the product that I received. And I don't think you were either. <laughs> uh, no, I was not disappointed at all. I, I mean, I was very happy. Very, very happy. I'm happy with, like, the paint job. I'm happy with just, like, the feel of the gun in general. And uh, you can just tell. Like, there's just a bunch of attention to detail. They really um, outdo themselves when they, they make... A gun, a good product. Yeah. So, and they were super cool about it too, because it took like it we, took over a year. Because I no, or, year and I, a half. No, I ordered them last February, and we just got them. We just got them like a month ago. We yeah. got them right after. Um, I think mid, I think the middle of June is when we finally got yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, we uh, pretty much a year and a half, practically. Yeah, um, almost. But yeah, they were cool. They sent us some patches and some stickers and stuff, which I thought was super nice of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was super happy about it. Um, I was nervous about the color of mine because I wanted a matte navy blue. I ended up getting more of like a royal blue color. 
But I did pick that color out. They didn't know what color I wanted, so I got to pick from this website that they get their paints from. And um, I was a little nervous about it, but honestly, I love the color. I'm 100% about it, so I'm very pleased. Um, and yours is cool, too. Yeah, well, I got my more generic... Yeah. OD green. <laughs> but I told you if I was going to hear that word me a gun, I wanted it blue. So... That was yeah. just like my thing. Or really, crux was that you said I before I get another rifle, I have to get you one. Yeah, I did say that. So I, I played the game. Yeah. And got me one and you one at the same time. Yep. Yeah, and that was before we were even married. You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, because I originally or I originally ordered it, and they're like, oh, it's about six months out. So like, so I was ordering it in February. I'm like, oh, it'll be here by the by the time we get married. It'll be here by the time we get married. It'll be like it'll be like a wedding present. One and then, later. and then it went by like, okay, it'll be our. Uh, we were like, our, okay, our, it'll, it'll our be like, like dating, or like a dating, and no, it went from being a Christmas present to a New Year's present to like, okay, our an date, Easter present, an Easter present to like our dating anniversary present. Yeah. And at first, it was closer to our dating anniversary though, because I think we got, we literally got it either a couple days after or. A I think it was days about before. a week. I think about a week after. Yeah. Well, so, I got the notification around the time of our anniversary. Yeah. You picked it up that following Friday when you were off. Something like That's that. what it was. Yeah. So yeah. it was like the following week uh, or that the following Friday of, the, of our uh, dating anniversary. That's, that's when you got it. So, or you picked them up anyway. But still, I mean, made for, I mean, we'll always have those guns. I don't ever plan on getting rid of that. No, Ever. like uh, like I was telling the, uh, I don't know if I was, I was telling Andy this or telling one of the guys at work mm-hmm. this, uh, that yeah, those guns are going to be in the family for as long as they work. Yeah, 100%. So we'll be and, teaching like our kids how to shoot that at a reasonable age. Yeah, we'll start them all like a 22 and then we'll work our way up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for I'm sure. Not gonna, I'm not going to give a... Uh, I'm not going to give a seven-year-old a 7.62 by 39 caliber gun. No. That, I, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, when they're of, like, the appropriate age, we'll let them, we'll teach them and shoot, you know, get them to yeah. shoot them. Yeah. We'll start them on 22, shooting, like, cans and stuff, and we'll work our way up. Yeah. Like I did when I was little with the BB gun. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was probably the most fun part of my week. And honestly, we had been planning on doing that for a while, and then I was like... I finally got a long weekend, so I have Monday off because it's the 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, let's just go do it. So we just, we woke up and we went. So it was fun, though. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. And then I also shot, my papa gave me um, a thirty out 6 to hunt with. And it's the first time, I, I bought a, we bought a scope for it. And then uh, I went to go shoot it for the first time. Uh, still have issues kind of during the scope we're gonna have to figure that bit out um we'll have to go back and shoot it again but um it was good just to get experience and just like shooting it in general because i had no idea what i was getting myself into with that gun well you like i like i told you when we went out like he shot stuff bigger than that yeah well no i know but i i always feel like i always feel nervous handling a new gun well yeah understandably so that's why it's like i told you like the first couple shots you take like just aim for whatever aim for the berm yeah and just pull the trigger a couple times so you just understand what it feels like to shoot it yeah so um 
But yeah, and you know, that that'll help me out a whole lot um in terms of like when I'll have a hunting gun. Yeah. Because I plan on going hunting with you this year. And um, I still have to do the hunting class. That's not going to be hard. No, no. I don't, I'm not expecting it to be hard. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it because I need to know that stuff. Like, I'm very new to hunting. So, I think it'll just give me some good information. And the guy, the director of the place seemed really nice. Mm-hmm. So, I'm looking forward to it. It's always good to know. I'm sure they're going to teach a lot about gun safety and stuff, which... Though I know I'm not good at in practice of it, if that makes sense. Like, always remembering to put... Like, I try to always remember to put the safety on, but remember I kept, like, second-guessing myself and stuff. So it's well, just, the like... Well, the fun thing about shooting yesterday is that when I was... Actually, I finally got to teach you some drills. Yeah. You did fine. I know, but in my head... I know I do fine. Like, acting it out, I do fine. But in my head, I'm panicking the whole time. I'm like, don't forget the safety. Don't forget the safety. Don't forget the safety. Like, don't forget to do that. So it's like, uh, in my head, I'm panicking. On the outside, I'm just trying to, like, do it. So, like, uh, I guess it comes across that I'm doing it correctly. But in my head, I'm, like, freaking out. Trying to make sure I do all the steps right. Yeah, but it's like, I was just thinking of, like, how many, like, boots... And privates and probably myself, I just don't remember. Like when they first get to ITB mm-hmm. and they're doing those shooting drills that I was showing you mm-hmm. yesterday. Like how much they, they screw that up. Just stupid crap. Like what? They weren't hard. Well, yeah. Well, exactly. They weren't hard, but they still managed to screw up somehow. It's like they, so it's like instead of doing a control pair, they do a hammer pair. Mm-hmm. Or instead of doing a one shot they'll do a control pair mm-hmm. or sometimes they just won't even shoot sometimes they forget the safety yeah take the safety off sometimes they put the safety back on just stuff like that well i think but you did finally you did everything that you're supposed to the first time through oh thank you <laughs> well i i also kind of feel like i wanted you to be proud of me so like i was, I was proud of you i was really like focusing Because I do want to do that kind of stuff with you. Like, I think it's cool that you want to teach me that, that, like, the stuff that you learned while you were in. Well, I just want you to be able to handle a firearm and uh, lay your way around one and be confident with one. Yeah. I think Uh, the only thing God forbid, worst case scenario, you have to actually get into a gunfight yourself. I want you to be able to have as much advantage as you possibly can. Right. You're just training me for the zombie apocalypse. Sure, we'll go with that. Or maybe the silver or maybe silver oh, war. God calm down, Jeff. Stop trying to get us canceled, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's not here to protect me. Where it's so not here to protect me. Calm down. Ixay, <laughs> don't listen to what I just said. Anywho, um I was gonna say something. I was gonna say something about Shoot, now I can't remember. Say something about what? Something oh. about related to guns. But it was it like it was going to be like a question. Now I can't remember what it was. It'll come back to me, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I feel like it usually does. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much been us. We've just been working a lot, um, taking care of the garden and trying to have some fun here and there. Oh, we saw a movie recently. Oh, Jurassic World Domination, we saw. Dominion. Shoot. Domination. Dominion. I don't know why I want to say Domination. I guess I just want dinosaurs to dominate. I don't know. Anyway, Dominion. Jurassic World Dominion. And um, 
you know, it was kind of cool seeing big dinosaurs on the big screen. It was a disappointment. The movie itself was a disappointment, but uh, I still enjoyed seeing dinosaurs, like, on a big screen, like, walking around and stuff. I mean, we probably won't get another Godzilla or King Kong for a while, so it was kind of nice to see, you know. Uh, it was, I mean, I went into, the, I've told you, I went into the movie. I didn't expect it to be good at all. No, I know. And... I, 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 I had low expectations and it even like surpassed my low expectations. I was like, shit, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think for me though, I just enjoyed going out to see a movie. It, it has been a hot second since we went to an actual theater. I yeah. Think I the last time we went to a theater was my birthday in January. That was literally the last time we went. Yeah. So it was just nice to go to a theater and have like a little date. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Dinner was good though after the movie. Oh my gosh, and it came so fast. We it weren't we like, weren't in there for more than thirty minutes. Yeah, that was wild. I've never gotten served that quickly in my life. That was so fast. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. But yeah, anyway, I don't know. What do you think? You ready to get started on my actual topic? Yeah, speaking of movies, I guess. Yeah, speaking of movies, uh, we are going to be talking about a movie that we actually saw on my birthday. Um, called Belle. It's an animated movie. Just real quick, shout out to this. So, the director, his name, I'm probably going to butcher so many names, guys. You're just going to have to bear with me. I don't mean any disrespect to the Japanese culture. I'm just super bad yeah, at as pronunciation. Much as, as much as you love Japanese culture, you're still going to butcher the names. I love Japanese culture. <laughs> I I love, like, even the language, but I'm just a bad pronouncer. I mean, I even, like, in grade school, I had to go to those extra little classes where you got to, go, like, leave your actual class and go to learn how to pronunciate words. And you thought that was cool because you Did got you in the class. Did you just say pronunciate? Yeah. How's it said? What? Pronounce. Oh my! Well, you know what I mean. Pronounce. It's like you you combine pronounce and enunciate. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Gosh, <laughs> I don't even want to talk now. Anyway, yeah, bear bear with me. Chris Rue will probably say it better than me, but I'm gonna go for it. So the movie we're gonna be talking about is called Belt. It is an animated movie from Japan. From Japan, uh, the director is. Uh, Mamaru Hosoda. He is the same guy who did uh, Maria, Wolf Children, and Summer Wars. Um, I've not seen Summer Wars, but Wolf Children is like one of my all-time most favorite movies ever. It's it's just so well done. And Maria is actually really good too. Um, you mean cool. Mariah? Is that how you say it? Mariah? Yeah, Mariah. Sorry, Mariah. Um... That's also a really good movie. I recommend all of them. Even though I haven't seen Summer Wars, I've heard great things. Summer Wars is a good movie. Yeah. He's also the guy. He also, um, for all of the OG people who watched Digimon back in the 90s, the Digimon movie where they go into the computer and they have this big fight. I think it is uh, Digimon. The specific one is uh, Digimon Our War Game. Yeah. And they had that whole computer fight scene, whatever. Uh, He was a part of that. No, he was the director for that. Was he the actual director? That specific part of the film, he was a director for it. Okay, so he was, yeah, so he was a director for that. Um, The movie is put up by Studio uh, Chizu, and 
uh, Nippon TV. So just a quick shout out to those guys. We are not sponsored at all, by the way. I just feel like good movies. What? I'm just making it clear. We're not sponsored. I just want to make it clear that I just appreciate these people and what they do in their art. Just want to give credit where credit is due. Okay. So yeah, how are we going to... Should we give a brief uh, description of the movie? Like a brief rundown? Uh, yeah, that'd probably be best. Oh, and uh, yeah, there's going to be spoilers. We're going to go through... I mean, we're not going to go through the film scene by scene or anything like that. We're just going to talk about themes discussed in the movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there will be spoilers. So if you want to see the movie before listening to this, stop listening to this. Go see the movie. Yes. It, it is available. I'm sure it's available in places to stream. I'm not exactly sure where. I'm not sure where either. Or you just go buy it. It. You could buy if it you're, on if Amazon you're into, Prime uh, if you have that. Um, or if you have a Microsoft account, it's available on there. Or you could just do what I did. I bought mine off of Amazon. Um, or Target sells, um, they have an exclusive, like, collector's box thing you can get. Stupid. For G-Kids. But, um, anyway, yeah, there's places you can pick it up. I'm sure there's places where you can watch, um, online. You might even be able to buy it, like, on the YouTube movies section. It's probably available to rent there. Um... Highly recommend if you haven't seen it. It's so, so good. And if you don't want to watch the whole movie, um, I at least recommend that you go look up some of the songs. It is just so good. The music is ridiculously good, I think. Yeah, well, um, it is a kind of musical film. Yeah, which is actually odd for Japanese animation. Uh, there's not... There's not a lot of I mean, Japanese there, animation that does music throughout the whole thing. Oh, I mean, there's uh, animated films where music is does play a big where music does play a big role. Yeah, but it's never really used to kind of guide the story. Yeah, or push well, through the like story. a musical, like what Disney does. Yeah, it's, they they don't do that. Um, and I feel lately it's become kind of like a small trend. Like there are quite a few anime right now or within the past couple of years that have been using kind of like the musical kind of way where like there's always a song involved where like the main characters or something saying um shout out to your boy Kunming <laughs> like <laughs> just had to put that out there it's such a good anime and Netflix is wrong for keeping it from us they only let the Japanese people have it and we want it over in America Netflix don't cancel us um <laughs> They're trying. They're trying really hard not to get canceled themselves right now. So yeah, worry honestly, about they're it. worried about their own rep. Um, but yeah, so yeah, please go see it. If you don't want to see it, at least listen to some music. It's so good, you will not regret it. And just so you know, it is also uh, so it's subbed, so subtitled in uh, English or whatever language. I think they have a couple options. I think Italy. I, I, I think the the main ones. It's. Japanese, English, and then French are, the, French, ma- are the main French. ones. Um, but they also have it dubbed, which in English, so they have the whole thing in, in uh, English voices. And the girl who does the voice for the main character, she is amazing. I mean, if you listen to the 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 voice and Japanese for the main character, and then you listen to the girl who does the English translation. It is just ridiculously good. I mean, they did such a good job translating it to English, I think. It's just like, 
I don't know. I have no words. It, I'm just amazed by it. I love both versions, so I know anyone else probably would too. No, it's definitely it's it's very close. The, their voices are very close in like tone mm-hmm. and uh, just presentation. Yeah, and uh, great performances by both of the uh, VAs. VAs voice actresses. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> not. Yes. Um, so yeah. Okay. So let's give it a quick. We'll give a quick overview, and like Christopher said, we'll just kind of go through. It. Oh, by the way, uh, we totally did not introduce ourselves. I'm Dylan. In case you didn't know, he's Christopher. In case you didn't know, and this is Socrates on the Mountain. like that (laughs) because i wanted to okay (laughs) they don't see it but i get to be silly i don't know anyway okay so bell do you want to do it or you want me to do it uh no i think i'll i'll start it and you go from there okay go for it all right so the main character is she's her name is suzu yeah her her name is suzu she's probably what like 16 uh she's in high school so yeah She's probably like sixteen or seventeen. She's not a senior. No, she's sixteen. So, I would say she's probably sixteen. Yeah. Not that the specific age doesn't really matter. I don't, I don't no. know why I trying to figure that out so hard. Yeah. So a young high school girl, as most anime center yeah. center around. Yeah. All right. Now I'm just thinking about that short video about like the new anime plot, and it's just the dude talking about uh, introducing new girls and the. No. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I wish you had the memory of the internet like I did. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, gosh. So, Falls, uh, Sue, she's, she's the primary, she, she's a protagonist for the story. And she's dealing with a considerable amount of trauma from the sudden death of her mother. Yes. And the story of her really trying to come into her own again. And singing was a big part of the relationship that she had with her mother and just music in general. And once her mother died, she lost that. And uh, can I make a correction to that really quick? What? It's not that she, it's not that she lost, like, are you talking about like how she loses the ability to sing? Or are you talking about just like she lost someone to do that with? Oh, really? You kind of, you kind of can say both. Well, because she didn't lose she she didn't lose she her did, ability she, to she lost her ability to sing physically, but she still goes home and in like in a manic episode will write down lyrics and like compose her own songs. But yeah, like, but that's writing songs. It's not actually singing and performing them, which is the real crux of the story. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So she loses the physical ability to sing because of the mental block she's developed in her head. She has. Basically, a non-existent relationship with her father. She's only got a couple friends that she can really count on. Really, like two, honestly. Yeah. The other two, 
the other two teenagers are just kind of like there at the end. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to them as uh, as it goes on. And there, she gets invited by one of her friends to join in for this uh, kind of this new social media network slash, uh, I guess you can call it a metaverse in a way called you. So she gets invited in there, and then there she gets like a brand new avatar, and she discovers in this world that she can actually she can sing again. And for a while, it's like she feels more fulfilled. But as time goes on, she becomes pretty popular in this online space until she runs into who's kind of, I would call him a protagonist, even though he's not the primary character. He's not the primary uh, character of the story who in the, who in this online world is simply known as the beast. Well, that's not true. A lot of the younger population of the online... No, he's the, still called the Beast even by them. But it's just the way that... We're, well, we're, no, we're going to get there. They call him the Dragon too, though. I'm just trying The Beast to slash the Dragon. Either oh, way. You're, trying, you're jumping ahead here. I'm not. You are, though. This is a synopsis. We're not getting into it just yet. <laughs> so the Beast and the Dragon, who is known in this world as like a trouble... By most people, especially adults, as a troublemaker. And he's being hunted down by this... or organization the self-appointed organization who's uh trying to track him down and do something called unveiling and she gets wrapped up into that story and then that's when she really starts to go on this journey of uh growing as a person and that's where we see the start seeing the real growth of the movie and the fulfillment of that is the fulfillment of the movie so that's a real basic rundown of Bell and what Bell's about. All right, do you have an idea of where you want to start? Or no, I guess let's do whatever you want to do. All right. Well, I guess we'll start with uh, the first note I made was uh, talking about the relationship that Suzu has with her dad. Okay. Well, that's like the first. That's the, that's the first thing we see in the movie. Well, we get a hint of, I guess. Not the first thing you see in the movie. What do you mean? The first thing you see in the movie is the world of you, which is like the online world and bell singing. Yeah, well, that's kind of. Oh like, uh, well, yeah. If you're talking about like the introduction of the movie, I'm talking about like once the movie actually like gets going with the story. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there there isn't. I mean, like you said before, there's not really a relationship there. Yeah. It's just it's it's very like. Like, you can tell, like, she doesn't even want to talk to him. Or you get the feel that she doesn't want to talk to him, and her dad is just kind of accepting of that. And just kind of make sure, like, ask the, the basic questions, like, are you okay? Do you need a ride home? Do you want dinner? Um, you know, he just covers the basics, and then, you know, she'll answer, and then she'll just kind of do her own thing. Yeah. Again, like, a, this is still, like, her reeling from the trauma of losing her mother. Yeah. Well, you, you shortly find out after that short interaction with her dad, they do, like, the whole flashback thing, and it's her and her mom the whole time. Like, yeah, she was, she was very, very close to her mom. Yeah, well, she was raised primarily by her mom, and it's not so surprising. I mean, a lot of the times in Japanese culture, it's the mom who's, like, the primary child caregiver. That's just kind of how their culture is. 
Um, not to say, like, now, I mean, there's plenty of women, I'm sure, who work, but now, but just in terms of, like, a traditional standpoint, even, the mom is usually the one who would stay home and care for the kid, the dad would go out to work, and they were very close, they, I mean, they showed a whole sequence of, like, what they used to do together, they showed, you know, how she lost her mom, well, before that, you see them do plenty of activities together, and you see how music became part of Suzu's life, and they started with, like, that piano lab, she would compose music, her and her mom would sing, and then you find out how she lost her mom, or you get, it doesn't, there, like, there's scenes that pop up throughout the whole movie about that one in particular day, but you get the gist of, like, what happened, and, I mean, I don't, do you want to talk about, do you want to talk about the scene with her mom, or do you want to leave that for a different time, or what? Uh, not just yet. We can get to that rather than so, like, I want to stay focused on her and her dad. Okay. So what about her like, and her dad? Well, you really kind of see, uh, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it, but see the differences in their, uh, their development, and... Kind of, I just want to point out some faults I kind of see with her father at first. The same way I kind of saw with one of her friends. I don't know if you picked up on it. Was that I don't think he does the greatest job of being a dad, but I still think he's trying to like figure exactly figure out exactly how to be a dad. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. Because like like we were saying, like it was her mom that she was really close to, and her mom that really was kind of raising her up until the point where uh, I guess her mom died when she was six. She was young. Yeah. So I she think was in it, elementary school because that's when uh, her childhood friend said that he would protect her. Yeah. She said she was six. So it probably was when she was six. So now she's like 16. So I was like 10 years. But oh, geez. That's honestly, that's a really long time to have that kind of. To, yeah. To have that kind of relationship not, with your dad and like also to just be stuck. She's stuck in time. Mm-hmm. She can't get past it. And honestly, I don't have, like, the sad, but I don't have a really good opinion. Like, I don't have a lot to say, or I don't really have an opinion about her dad, because, like, the the parts that you see, in the beginning of the movie, you don't see much of him interact with her. And then there is a one, there's two very specific points towards the end of the movie where you see a good interaction actually happening between her and her dad. And that's all I really care about. I don't really care. Like, and, and like, the thing is, is, like, I was saying, like, he asks her the, the basic questions. And you're right. Maybe he doesn't know. He's figuring out how to be a dad for her because he wasn't there in those early stages raising her with her mom the whole time. So, like, maybe he just didn't know how to transition from having her mom there to just not having her there anymore. But we don't know. We didn't see the whole... You never see what happens in between the time that she loses her mom until when we meet her in the story. So, you don't know how he tried or if he tried. Like, I don't want to judge the dad because, like, that's hard. He lost his wife. Yeah. She, you know, like, it, it wasn't just her loss, but she is so stuck in her loss. I almost felt bad for the dad. The first time we saw the movie, I was like, well, she's being a little bitch because he literally lost his wife. But she is so in her sadness, she can't even help her dad. 
or like feel sorry for her dad because she seems a little unappreciative if you ask me about her dad. Well, it's like, and her dad wants. She's, it seems like he wants to help her, but he's not sure how to do that. Well, and but she's also not open to it. I personally, when I watch the scene, what I read from her is that she rather him not talk to her. And so that's kind of what he does, right? Like and I that, said, basic three questions, and then then is out. Like, and I, I think that's her setting the precedent. She doesn't want to talk to him, or doesn't know how to interact properly with him, and he feeds off of that by just doing the basic for her. You need a ride. You want to eat dinner together. You need anything? No, cool. All right, I'm going to work. Yeah. And, you know, in scene. I mean, like, and, like, you know. And that's what, that's what he's had to do for, that's what, that's what he's had to do. I mean, he lost his wife, but he still has to go to work. He still has to go about his daily life. He still had to raise her. He still has her that he has to take care of. And, but she doesn't have that. She doesn't really understand that. She's just more like, why is... Why is everybody? Why is the rest of the world moving? Yeah, when I'm stuck in this one place, and it's very frustrating to her. Mm-hmm. Which I want to talk about that, but we're not there yet. Yeah. But it's like the the real comp. It's really the real conflict I see between her and her father. It, it's not an active conflict. It's, it's very passive. Yeah. But it's just, I think one of the reasons though why he why her dad is the way he is with uh, her with with Suzu. Is that he lost his wife and he's afraid that if he's like trying to be too pushy mm-hmm. with her or trying to be like try to talk to her too much, he might lose her. He might push. He might push her away mm-hmm. and she won't want to interact with him at all. Yeah, and like he's already lost his wife. He doesn't want to lose his daughter or something like that. What's sad is I know we probably don't want to go this far into it, but what's sad is like towards the end in one of the scenes that I'm thinking about is he lays it all out for her. He sees her and knows her. Like, he, he, he like, sees the picture, but like you said, maybe he didn't want to push too far too soon because he was afraid of losing her. Yeah, he felt like if he... I'm pretty sure he felt like if he tried to pressure her mm-hmm. to come back to reality, yeah, she would have rejected it. She may have broken down, honestly. Broken down and just been completely destroyed, not just emotionally, but mentally as well. Yeah. And then had what maybe little tiny spark of relationship that they could have had would have been would have gone out. Yeah. I feel like he was really afraid of losing that. Yeah. Uh, there was only, like you said, there was only a couple interactions like that in the film. Yeah. Up until like the very end of the movie. Yeah. Those two important uh, those, scenes at the end were but those a were, lot. Yeah, those really stood out. Uh, those just really stood out to me. And I feel like it kind of shows who she is as a character. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, when she does actually have a proper interaction with her dad, kind of shows the growth that she's had as a character yeah. in the film. But she goes through a lot to get to that point. Yeah. I'd also like to add that I said this when we were watching the movie. But for me, I find it very hard for some movies to watch certain characters develop i think it's because like in a way i find it a little cringy because i'm like they could be so much better but it's so hard watching it's so hard watching a person grow because you see the struggle there 
And, like, for me personally, it's hard to watch people struggle when, like... And I know we're talking about, like, an animated character here, not real, right? But, like, I get very... For those of you who don't know me, I get very involved in anime. And I... As weird as it sounds, I create, like, those connections for myself, like, internally with, like, those characters. And so I feel for them a lot. Uh, which... I just have always been, like, when I've watched anime, I mean, I've been watching anime since I was little. I die when my favorite characters die. Like, I mean, I cry a lot when my favorite characters die and stuff like that. It's a thing. But it's so it was so hard for me. Honestly, through the whole movie, she struggles to become who she does at the end. And it's it's really hard to watch someone struggle through their pain and and, like, to figure out how to grow... It's just so hard to watch her struggle sometimes. For me, it was hard. Well, I think part of what makes it cringy is that I think it, in a way it kind of reminds you of what you were like. Yeah. When you were a teenager and going through those going through those formative years. Yeah. And going through puberty and going and becoming going from a child transitioning to an adult, mm-hmm. it's very uncomfortable yeah. physically, emotionally, and all that, and like that. All that on top of the trauma that she has. Yeah. Is, doesn't not, make it any better. It does not make it any better. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's... When you see that in a character, it reminds you of yourself and it's not the good parts of yourself. Yeah. It's all the stuff you it, wish never happened. Yeah. All wrapped up into one. But as we'll... As we see with the Suzu story, it's necessary to develop and become... Oh, absolutely. For development to become the adult that you, you can be. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. And the, the other thing, too, is, like, you feel, like, this sense of pride at her at the end of the movie when you see how she's grown so much. I think that is important to recognize. It's, like, she she struggled so much, but she came out of it at the end. It, it's, it's, like, that happy ending that, like, it's so subtle, too, I feel like, in a lot of anime. Like, I feel like you see it a lot, just like in general, like, you know, there's that struggling character and then at the end, it's not like the happy, you know, sometimes it's not always like super over glorified, but like you, you see that like they really became a better person Mm -hmm. in the end and like you can be happy for them. I feel like especially in films like, uh, like Miyazaki's films, it is very subtle. Yeah. And, uh, like, uh, I don't know if I... Say like Makoto Shinkai. I feel like his can be pretty upbeat when the endings of his films are upbeat. Yeah. I feel like his are a little bit more obvious, but he also elevates a lot of his endings with music. Mm-hmm. Just like not not like uh the character singing, but like in terms of like the soundtrack, he elevates his endings, I think, with that. Yeah. And so I think you can feel it through the music how how like big that moment is for those characters. Yeah, well, Hayao Miyazaki think, is very subtle. Yeah, it's extremely subtle. Makoto Shinkai, there, there, there's fanfare behind it, one way or the other. Yeah. But Mamoru Hosoda, sometimes it is, sometimes it is. I feel like he's kind of that in between spot between well, the, between those two directors. Yeah, uh, I feel I feel like I feel like you. No, I feel like you're right. Actually, or sometimes, I feel like it, it could feel, be either way with him. I feel like Makoto Shinkai. When he has good endings to his films, like they they feel like good endings. It's very obvious yeah. that they're that they're good. Like they're made to they're made to like make you feel good. Yeah. Uh, Miyazaki, it just kind of leaves you subdued. 
Yeah. Kind of just like leaves you. Like you're, maybe, you're cool with it. Maybe even thinking. Yeah. Or, or imagining the rest of the story. And, uh, but for Mamoru Hosoda, I, I lost track of what I was going to say. Well, he, you were saying before, he's kind of like an in-between. I feel, I feel yeah. like there's that one point where you're like, hell yes, like this is such a good ending, but the story still continues and you're like, okay, I'm good. Like this was a good ending. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It was like the endings a lot of times for Mamoru Hosoda's films, they're either really good or they're like bittersweet. Oh yeah, I, I'm thinking. I'm that. thinking of like uh, the girl. No, not Wolf Children, and really uh, the girl who left through time. Oh I, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that I was forgot that, about that, one. that was one of his early. That was one of his earlier films. And yeah, I'll say it's a great film. If you haven't seen that one, go see it. It is. It is actually super super good. Another great coming of age story yeah. with another uh, young female yeah. protagonist. Wolf Children is also coming of age, but there's two kids involved in that one, um, and that one is super bittersweet. Um, yeah, because everything works out in the end. Everything, no, everything Every, everyone, works every, out. everyone finds their place. Everyone finds their path. Yeah, it's just not necessarily the path that you think that, that, that you, you that you would have that you would have wanted for them. Yeah, but er, but everything's fine. Yeah, everything's good. So yeah, I mean, and, I, and it's kind of, it's kind of like that in uh, the girl who left through time as well. It's like yeah. she loses a lot. Mm-hmm. Through the course of the story, but she does still become a better person by the end of it. Well, it's the same for how do you, how do you say that one? The Ma- Mari? How do you say that? One? Mirai. Yeah, it's the Mirai. same for Mari. the The ending in that one is well, I wouldn't necessarily say bittersweet. That one is just very like you you watch this girl go through all of this stuff. Well, it was a uh, it was a little boy. Who now has a baby sister and he's trying to figure out where his place is now that yeah. this new being. I thought it was a. I thought it was an older sister who has a little brother. No, it's it's the little bro. It's it's the brother who now has the little sister, and in the movie, it's his sister. That oh co- right, it's, it's his, his sister, sister from the future back. who yeah. comes back and like kind of who kind of like coaches yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to right, like you say. He's trying to figure out where he belongs in the dynamic of the family again. Yeah, he really struggles with that. Him. Yeah, because I mean, going from being an only child, all the attention, and you're the baby, and all the attention is yeah. on you all the time because you're the baby. Now there's a new baby, yeah. and, all the, and at least half the attention, if not seventy five percent of the attention, is going to go to them now because because they're the baby. Yeah, there's a new baby. In the that, that's just how it works. Yeah, but I thought that one was I thought that one was really well done as well. I mean, he just does such a good job. Like he, unlike I feel like I feel like a lot of stories. Like, Hayao Miyazaki does a good job at kind of, like, ending his stories to an extent. But there are some movies where I'm like, you could have pushed a little bit further to give us a better conclusion sometimes. Like, I know I'm saying that about Hayao Miyazaki. I worship this dude. But, like, I feel like in some of his movies, I could get, like, I would want to see more. I would want to see more of an ending. Whereas, like, with this guy, I'm, like, fully satisfied. It's like, I'm, I'm good where he leaves you. I mean, but, you know, to each their own. Everyone has their own style. Yeah. I'm not going to diss anyone's style. Everyone has their own way of doing things. Emi Izaki's style is more of an old school style. Yeah. Well. I still love him. Don't get me wrong. I love his movies to death. I would never diss his movies. I just, like, I, I think I love them so much. And because I grew up on them, I just want more of Hayao Miyazaki. Like, he's only going to be doing animation for so long. I mean, he already is coming out of retirement to do one more movie. And, I mean, there's just not... You don't get enough of them. 
you just, like, it's sad, but, like, for animators, it's, like, they've got, like, so, they have, like, they're kind of, like, actors in a, in a way. Because in Japan, and we were watching this in one of the bonus features, uh, Japan is, like, one of the last countries who still kind of believes in the art form that is animation. That is hand-drawn animation, not, not CGI-focused. Thank you for stealing my thunder. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> For Sorry. Their, their art style for animation in terms of hand-drawing everything versus using computer-generated. So I think, for me, I I personally have always loved the hand-drawn stuff. Like, I was so upset when Disney was like, wait, after Tangled, we're going to go all CG, whatever. Well, I still love the old-school style. And I think it's sad, but they're kind of like actors where, like, they only have so many years they can do it because it is just a lot of work it's just a lot of you know it's a lot of patience and like coming up with a story and hand drawing everything getting it all wrapped up in the one you know they got the the composers and all the voice actors and stuff it's just a lot of work so they only have so long to do it and you know like i was talking about how Mizaki how he grew up on him um you just want you just want more you know, you grow up and you forget, like, there is someone behind the movie, right? Like, like when I was little, I, that concept... Well, when you're little, you don't think about that. You just think about what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah, well, and now that I'm older, I'm like, I know there's someone behind that movie, but I need you to keep doing this for me, please. Like, I just love your work. Just keep, keep pounding it out. Like, I just want to see more. You know, it's not possible, but, yeah. It's just, uh, they're so good at what they do over there. It's ridiculous. It'd be awesome to meet the Universal one day. Just saying, life goal would be to meet Jaime Mizaki, but then also this guy because he's amazing, and then the guy who does uh, your name and all all of those ones, weathering with you and stuff like that. Weathering with you, your name, and there's one other one. I know he did. Uh, don't Makoto Shinkai, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makoto Shinkai. Yeah, Makoto Shinkai. Uh, weathering with you, your name. He did five centimeters per second. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. Garden of Words. Yes. Oh, um, doesn't he, who, no, he didn't do Silent Voice, did he? Who did Silent Voice? Did he do Silent Voice? I have to go back and look at the credits. Or maybe I just think of that one because the, the Garden movie, it's like. Garden of Words. Garden of Words. I think Makoto Shinkai did do a Silent Voice. I could be totally wrong. I think he did. Don't quote us on that. But that was a good one too. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like we need to get back on point. I'm so sorry. I ranted a little bit. I'm a <laughs> y'all. I I love anime so much. Anime means a lot to me. Yeah, you weeb. I a hundred percent a weeb. <laughs> um, I'm a weeb in like the the simplistic form of it though. I'm not that person who goes out and buys all of the the action figures and stuff. I'm like the simplistic weeb who like sits there and just like loves to like intake all of it yeah and i kind of like in a weird i wouldn't say i idolize but like i just like i truly just fall in love with the characters i really do like it's so bad (laughs) and and just a quick note on that it's just i feel like there's a element of storytelling in japanese animation or even in asian storytelling that uh I don't want to say it doesn't exist in in Western storytelling. I feel, oh, but I feel no, like you could say it doesn't exist. Well, well, there's definitely elements that don't exist because it's two completely different cultures, two completely different uh, regions of the world. 
But at the same time, I feel like uh, Western storytelling in the last several years has uh, lost some of its magic, and yeah. at least for right now, uh, well, you, you, Eastern uh, storytelling and especially Japanese anime animation uh, retains a lot of that magic and yeah. makes it a lot more uh, intriguing, enticing mm-hmm. to viewers all all around the world. I think that's I think that's why it's grown so popular in the last twenty years. Yeah, it will especially. Um, Mr. Hosoda talked about this again in the bonus feature. How the internet has given people, you know, in the Western culture, the ability to to see what's going on in Japan in terms of like their culture and like you know anime, manga, you name it. We have access to it because of the internet. And also, I could be more grateful. Like I remember, I was that kid who woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to watch four kids, right? Wasn't it, like, the four kids channel where they had, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Digimon and they had, like, Do-Re-Mi and, like, all those, like, oldie but goodies. And, like, you could only watch them on Saturday morning. But they were the only channel available that that did anime. And honestly, when I was little, I had no idea. Like, even Pokemon. I was like, I thought Pokemon was American-made. I had no <laughs> idea that that was, like, a, a like that was a Japan thing. Well, yeah, I, I felt no the same idea. way. Like, my first anime film was one of Miyazaki's films. It was uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. And I didn't... Yeah. I just thought it was a cool animated film i didn't think about it i didn't think it was anime and yeah honestly you don't have to think but think of it as anime it's just it's a cool well, no, you animated, don't have to it's just a cool animated film it's cool animated artwork and yeah it, it's cool uh well yeah it's just a cool method of storytelling yeah well my point was is that when i was little i was more in to japanese anime than i was like american cartoons like you know i watched like courage the cowardly dog and like johnny bravo dexter's laboratory i watched all of those but there was always something different about watching anime i think for a lot i think for a lot of it there was something about it that was definitely more mature yeah than a lot of the cartoons that we watched on like cartoon network growing Mm -hmm. up like you stayed up to watch Toonami. Yeah. To watch. You were anime. up at midnight to watch think, that episode. Yeah. And it's just, again, the maturity aspect. I think when you're growing up as a kid, like, there's always that desire kids always say, like, oh, I can't wait to grow up and stuff like yeah. that. So being exposed to that more mature storytelling. Yeah. Even if you don't fully understand, because I definitely did not. Uh-huh. It's just really intriguing, enticing to you that you, you want to be a part of it. You want to yeah. see it. No, I agree. I agree with that 100%. Because I remember one time I was watching, uh, I forget the exact title. I think it's like Blue Submarine Number 6, which is kind of like a miniseries anime. There's I don't only, think I've ever seen that. It's only like four or five episodes. I'm pretty sure it's on Crunchyroll if you want to look at it. Okay. Uh, which is, it's a very weird and definitely not meant for little kids like when I was watching it. But, I, but it was on Toonami at night, right? <laughs> no, it was on Toonami during the day. Oh, dang. <laughs> and I was watching it. And then uh, I was up, I was upstairs watching it, and then uh, I came downstairs to eat lunch or something, and I still wanted to watch it. So I put it on the TV, and then my mom saw me watching it. And she's like, "What?" And she made me stop watching it. Oh gosh! Yeah. See, I um, I we, me and my me and my oldest sister, we would sneak into. So our garage was like the play. That was like our playroom, right? They even had we had carpet. We had all of our toys and stuff in the garage. 
I think the only thing that was really in there that would be considered part of a garage was my dad always kept his bikes in the garage. Um, but we had plenty of room to play with, like, our toys and stuff. We even had TV in there. And we would sneak out of our beds at night and go watch, like, Naruto or Bleach. Like, and honestly, Bleach is not a kid show. No, Bleach, absolutely not. Bleach is so gory for a kid show. And then, like, we used to watch Death Note. Like, all the stuff that really kids should not be watching. We were watching at night. Um... But yeah, it just, you know, anime is uh, very near and dear to my heart. And um, I'll never forget that. That will always be part of me. Waking up um, to watch stuff late at night or falling asleep to it at night when I used to have a TV in my room. I mean, I still, to this day, I remember how we, how me and my sisters got introduced to Hayao Miyazaki. We rented um, My Neighbor Totoro and that was it. We were hooked. We we rented that thing from Blockbuster so much that my parents just bought it for us because they were tired of renting it. Like that, and that's how it went. And after that, because Shelby's a freak, right? I'm sorry, that's my oldest sister. She's not a freak, but she's got a memory like a freaking elephant. She, at a very young age, started recognizing, I think, like directors and stuff in terms of like movies. And we saw Kiki's Delivery Service in a Target. I totally remember this. We were, like, by the $10 movie section. And Shelby saw Kiki's Delivery Service. And she was like, guys, this movie's by the same guy who did My Neighbor. And we were like, no way. She goes, yeah, look, it's the same guy. And so my mom got it for it. We begged for it. We were like, we don't want anything else. We just want this one movie. And that, that was it. We were like hooked from that day on and then every time we would go to the store we would look for another movie if there ever was one and that was it we were hooked we were hooked for life i mean even my middle sister who who like does not do anime at all like she will sit down and watch like a high Miyazaki or like a good animated movie with us so yeah i mean it's just you know again just near and dear to my heart anywho sorry guys again rant excuse me yeah, so let's get back to it. We were talking about her dad and her relationship. Do you want to move on from that since we kind of covered that? Yeah, I think we can move on from that now. Okay. Um, do we want to talk about the scene with her losing her mom or what do you want to do? How do you want to... Yeah, we can talk about that. Tell you what you want to talk about. Um, well, I want to talk about the setting because the setting is important towards the end of the movie. So the setting of her her losing her mom, they went out to this area, I'm guessing, in their town... Where it's like a river and everyone goes swimming. And uh, on that particular day, it got really bad. The weather got super bad. And the water is just like raging down the river. This poor little girl, who they don't know, by the way, is stuck out on this little piece of land that's above the water. And Suzu's mom puts on a life jacket and is like, stay here. I gotta go. I gotta go get her. And she's like, and Susie's like, no, stay here. And she's like, no, I can't. She'll die if I don't go save her. And yeah, because so- her mom is a, one thing you do get from the flashbacks is her mom's a really good swimmer. Mm-hmm. So she figures yeah. if anybody can do it, she can. Yeah. So she, she takes the risk. She puts on a life jacket. And she does it. She saves the girl. But in return for saving her, she loses her life. And obviously super traumatic. Suzu was, I mean, in the scene, Suzu's obviously bawling. She doesn't know where her mom has gone. She's super upset. And immediately, 
immediately after that scene, it's a bunch of people who are, like, criticized. It's, like, they're kind of, like, she's, like, Susan's moving on with her life. And, like, they're, she's doing, like, she's, I think she's traveling to school or something, whatever, in that scene. I thought it was so rude. There's so many people who criticize her mom for saving a child's life. They're like, how could she leave her child for another kid she doesn't even know? I'm just like, excuse me? She saved a human being, a child, no less. She saved another little girl because she had a little girl. Not because she had a little girl, but like, you know, like she, she also saved a little girl. She has a little girl. Like, I think that means something. And I mean, like, why wouldn't you attempt to go save a child? I just don't, that concept does not register to me. Well, the criticism her mother gets, and you, you see scenes like this in other, in other uh, similar films of uh, the society at large criticizing somebody's actions. Yeah. And really what it comes down to is that the society that exists in Japan, or I wouldn't say East Asia as a whole, but definitely in Japan, being a very collectivist society. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have the same outlook as uh, Western societies do. Mm-hmm. And in the collective society of Japan, you have your lane, you stay in your lane. Yeah. You don't go outside. So it's like you had a family to take care of, then you take care of your family. You don't worry, you don't worry about other people. You just do what you have to do for your family and uh, your job, your station, whatever your place is in life. Mm-hmm. And you just stick to that. So, what her mother did was step outside of her lane for somebody risking her life for somebody else's kid. And damaging her family in the process. Yeah, so that was... I mean, cool, she saved somebody's kid, but she shouldn't have done that. And it's like... So it's like, either good or bad. People get criticized. If it's a good thing, it's like, oh, you're just showing, oh, you're just showing off or you're being arrogant and things like that. Or if, or if it's something bad, well, it's like, oh, that's what you get for stepping outside of where you belong. Yeah. And, I know, and that's, just me, the way, that's just the way the society is, even, yeah. to, even, to, even to today. Yeah. I don't know, still just like, it's like, I, I get I get that, that that's like a culture thing, for sure, where that comes from, that stems from, but at the same time, I'm just like, damn, like, why do you gotta be so rude? You know, like, she saved a life. I mean, like, yes, she 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 literally had no obligation to do so, but, like... And, and and the thing too is like it's like I I feel like there's two different ways like a person could look at at, at the scene is like like after knowing like that Suzu is like obviously going to be motherless and stuff it's like you could think like okay yeah like that's so terrible like she you know she's dead now like Suzu's not going to have a mom and stuff but on the other hand you could think of it as like her mom had so much compassion and like she's a hero like Suzu could have grown up knowing that her mom was a hero and saved someone's life but instead there was that that continued that that continued theme that popped up where she was just like i can't believe my mom left me for someone else yes that continued feeling that her mother abandoned her yeah exactly yeah abandoned her yeah and like and that's what's so heartbreaking is like like, I feel like to us, like, her mom could be, could easily be seen as a hero. And obviously we're not in Suzu's shoes. But Suzu, her dad even, could have instilled that in her. Your mom is a hero because she saved someone. She didn't mean to leave you. But she did it so she could save someone else's life. But Suzu obviously wasn't taught that or wasn't introduced into that 
idea as that little kid. And so, like, she just grew up harboring, like, why did you abandon me that whole time? And it's, and again, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, when you see her, like, there, like, you only see the scenes of, like, the day that her mom passes when she's, like, actively thinking about it. So, like, when you see her thinking about it, it's, like, you really, like, grieve for her. You're, like, honey, please, like, don't harper all of, like, all of that. You know, like, don't, don't let that build up and become nasty inside of you. But it's, like, that's just how she's done it up until then. And so that's what's happening. It's, like, she just keeps getting angrier and angrier about it mm-hmm. and there's no one there's no one really who like she like there's no one she really talks to about she doesn't talk to it really about her best friend her best friend well okay i say best friend you don't really think she's her best friend she's her she has one well um, i definitely would think she'd consider her her best friend but i don't think she's the best the we'll, best we'll, friend we'll, that she get, has. we'll get into that when we get into that yeah well she has a friend called hero and uh she obviously knows what happened to her mom and so she's very sensitive to Suzu throughout the whole movie, um, especially when she talks about her own parents. And, um, but, like, that's the thing. is like, everyone's kind of tiptoeing around it, and no one is addressing it with her. Which, like, if you think about it, in our culture, it would be talked about. Like, I would hope that, like... I feel like it'd be case by case. I don't, I don't think as a culture... I don't think Western culture has a tradition of, like really confronting stuff like that well in an age where mental health is a thing well at least in modern at least in modern day but definitely i think no i I would say traditional western culture definitely would be talked about and like worked through but nowadays that doesn't really exist too often well i mean i if anything i just think like in terms of like i guess i guess what i was thinking is like everyone's all about like take care of your mental health like if you need to talk to someone talk to someone kind of thing so, like, I guess in my head, I'm just thinking, like, she could have taught, there could have been someone, anyone she could have said something to. Well, there were, as we'll, we'll talk about, but again, she just, she doesn't want to interact with them. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, so that whole scene happens, and then the movie kind of keeps going on. Um, I think the next big bit is when she actually goes to you for the first time. I, I would say that. I would say that as well. The only thing I want to add in between that is um, there's a scene where, so, like, you see Suzu kind of go through her school life, and, like, she's actually part of the choir in her school, but she doesn't participate in singing. Um, She's invited to go karaoke, and everyone tries to get her to sing, and she doesn't want to. She winds up on a bridge, and she tries so desperately to sing this song that we don't really know yet in the movie, but it's a very important song. And she tries so hard to sing, and you can see her just, like, struggling to, like, get her voice out. And, like, she can't, she physically gets ill, and she, like, throws up on the bridge. And I just think that part is super important, because you realize how, you you truly understand, then, how the world of you changes her. Yeah. And you really, with that scene, you really understand how difficult this is going to be for her. yeah. Yeah, I just think because it's, it's all it's it. all mental, it's all emotional. Oh, 100 percent. But then, how quickly that translates into like actual physical pain and discomfort mm-hmm. with her vomiting on the bridge. Yeah. And like she's like, it's almost like she has bronchitis. Like yeah. how she's struggling like in her throat. Like she sounds sick. <laughs> yeah, almost like she's having like uh like a asthma attack. She's like wheezing. Like she she literally just can't get 
her voice to function like she wants to. It's just it's very it's a very intense scene. But then you're right. Um, her friend sends her a link to um the online world, which is called You. And just a little background on You, probably not important. But um, it was created by what's called the Five Sages. Um, they're the also, Five Voices. Yeah, they're also called the Voices. Um, basically, the whole idea is like you put these things in your ears. They kind of look like uh, like air beats, like and AirPods, but like they have a big U on the on the outside of them. Um, and it uses body sharing technology. Um, well, create, like it, it, it'll like you put them in and it'll read your biometrics yeah it creates is, an avatar for you which just could be in, which is kind of interesting in a technological standpoint yeah like would there be something that like that like would exist it makes Maybe, me think of like <laughs> it makes me think of and i don't know anything about it so please correct me i don't know if you know a lot about it but it makes me think of like the facebook thing where he was like oh everyone's gonna live inside of like well yeah i kind of said it earlier like the uh, the metaverse thing yeah yeah but like they like it's the same concept. Like everyone has like an avatar and stuff. What's cool about the world of you is like you can't have two avatars though because it's run off of your biometrics. Yeah. So um, it's impossible to have two accounts. You can only have the one. Yeah. One well, interesting thing is like if you get injured IRL, then that'll show up. Yeah. On your that'll show up on your avatar, which becomes an interesting part a part of the film. Yeah. Later. So yeah, but anyway, so so she, um, she creates an avatar and um, she goes back and forth on the name. Ends up with uh, the name Bell, just B E L L. I think that's important. She yeah, because Suzu, Suzu is, means Bell is Japanese for Bell. Yeah, um, which is just like yeah. So she she creates her avatar and then she jumps right into you, and then um, and then that's. It's like life change. Well, so I don't know if it's important to mention, but her avatar, she thinks, looks like. So they took a picture that she was in, and they identified her in the picture, and then created kind of like the base of her avatar. And then whenever they, whenever the the technology scans her, she has freckles on her face, so her avatar then gets freckles. But she doesn't believe. And I remember um, saying something to you when we were watching the movie, and you were like. Yeah, because she she can't believe that that's what she looks like. Like she can't believe like her own beauty kind of thing. But yeah, so she she winds up in you, and then um she immediately tries to sing, and it goes wonderfully. Uh, she can fully sing a song. Um, you can tell that it's like kind of like letting a lot off of her chest already. Just like that one interaction with the world, and I think. Let's stop really quick and then talk about what you looks like. I think that's super important. Well, it kind of just looks like a uh, the internals of a computer. Yeah, I just think it's important because, like, like I feel like, like with anime nowadays, you know, like like sort of online and stuff like that, it could look like a legitimate world. But in this movie, they excuse me. In this movie, they chose to make it look like the inside of a computer. I just thought that was an interesting choice, honestly. Yeah. I think it looks really cool, too. No, it is cool and unique. And uh, Mamoru Hosoda, uh, especially with Summer Wars, he's he's, and uh, even Digimon, our war yeah. game, has made online worlds before and has uh, designed them more or less. 
And this is very different from the ones that he's designed previously. I'm thinking of Summer Wars mainly, which is the only other film he's made that does focus on an online world. And uh, he says that in interviews uh, about the film. He he goes back to that a few times. Yeah, it's a very unique design. It's uh, pretty simplistic. But then again, I don't think it really there doesn't really need to be too much to it. And yeah. I was thinking, like, we talking about the, the five voices of the five stages earlier, depending on whether you're listening to the original uh, Japanese dub or the uh, English dub. Mm-hmm. depends on the name that they use. I think on the English dub, they call it the five stages. I'm pretty sure. They mentioned both names in the Japanese, but most of the time they're called the sages in the Japanese version. I'm pretty sure in the Japanese version, they call it the voices. Okay, well, they said both names in the movie at the beginning. But, uh... Yeah, and so I don't just that's on that I was like it'd be kind of cool to like learn more about that, but at the same time, all you is you itself isn't important. No, all it is is the setting for the story. Yeah, and I think that's why I think that's why it's nice that it's simplistic because, like you said, the the background doesn't need to be super impressive if what you're trying to focus on is the story. It is still impressive in its own like unique way. But you're not going to spend a lot of time looking at it. You're going to focus more on the characters, which are usually uh, pretty vibrant, colorful, and uh, kind of, and uh, tend to stand out. Yeah. Which is way more important. And then you're focusing on the uh, protagonist's characters and uh, their performances, which is that's obviously their story. So. Yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah, and then you know, so she sings her first song. Um, a lot of the, I think. I think what's important is um, the lyrics. The lyrics, I think, are super important in this movie mm-hmm. uh, for the songs that you do get to to hear. Um, like well, there, this, there's this, what is there three or four? Yeah, ma- uh, like major songs, major pieces that really carry the story. Yeah, and this first song, one of the most important ones, Gale, um, Gales of Song. Yeah, uh, for me, when I, uh, so, like, I, I've heard the lyrics, but, like, I really read them the last time I watched the movie, and it hits you home so hard how much she, like, truly misses her mom. Like, it, it is just, like, a, it's just, like, it's so sad, like, like I said before, she's so stuck in her grief of her mom. Like, saying, like, you know, she says, like, now that you're gone... How am I supposed to move on? Everyone else smiling at the sun. What am I supposed to do? Or something something along those lines. I kind of messed up on that last little bit. But, um, you know, like, she she just feels so lost and alone. And, like, she doesn't know how to get out of it. Like, she sees the world going by, but, like, she doesn't know how to join it. And thinking about that, it kind of plays into her frustration as a character. Mm-hmm. Is that she rec- self an- it's self analyzing and she recognizes yeah. that she's lost. She recognizes that she's stuck and she just doesn't know how to. She she doesn't know how to move on. She literally move. says that in the song. Yeah. She doesn't know how she, to move on. Yeah, but at least she recognizes the problem. She recognizes yeah. that the place that she's in is a problem. Yeah. She recognizes that much, but then recognizing the problem is only the first step. Yeah. What are you going to do about it is the next one. And for the past 10 years since her mother's death Mm -hmm. she hasn't really done anything about it yeah and now but with you and the the, her avatar which is called an as which i don't think they ever exactly state what as stands for another self well yeah 
Oh, that's why uh, Ash, I wrote that down. To to me, it means like alternate self or another another self. Or it's they in- say in the movie another self specifically, but okay. I always think of it as alternate self as well. Well, yeah, it, I think those two words be yeah. mostly inter- mostly interchangeable. Yeah, but yeah, it's it allows her to at least in her mind she's taking a step in the right direction. But that gets into another thing where for most of the film. It's you. You see her. You think she's actually making progress, but then in the second half of the film, she starts in the middle. In the second half of the f- film, she starts actually hitting like real obstacles. Yeah. That start translating to reality. Mm-hmm. You see, like, oh, she's grown inside this online space, but she hasn't actually grown. She hasn't transitioned that to her real life yet. Yeah. That's the thing. And it kind of makes you think of this theme of like, okay, for a lot of the film and a lot of this, a lot of the songs she's not growing like you would initially think of taking if you just take it face value you think she's going through so much growth yeah but she's really not really what all all it is is escapism Mm -hmm. and fulfillment that she thinks she feels yeah is not actually real Mm -hmm. and that's the difference between online space and reality yeah i would 100 so all the all the popularity she gets and that her friend help her friend hero helps her get, mm-hmm. and the encouragement that her friend hero gives her isn't actually helping. Yeah, it's not true happiness. Yeah, and yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, what's in what's interesting is, um, so after she sings that first song, the next day, so like she goes to sleep the next day, she only has like what one or two followers or something like mm-hmm. one follower which is her friend hero and then and, ra- and then what for the longest time was just a random avatar yeah she calls him the angel yeah and but so she but you can see she goes to school the next day and she looks just like a hundred times better than she has the whole movie she's smiling she looks like she's actually enjoying her time in class, doing activities and stuff like that. She actually looks like she's softening. Like you said, like she's actually doing some kind of growth. But face value, right? So like when she looks at her phone at the end of her school day, she realizes that she's blown up on you. Like she is like, I, I didn't even look at the number. It's some stupid like 100,000 followers already or in, in counting, something crazy like that. And um... Then she goes over to her friend Hero's house, and her friend is like, well, duh, like, what's great about it is that it's a whole secret. Like, no one has to know, and no one would ever guess who it is, and kind of thing. And, like... That's really a sad part with their relationship, is that her friend Hero doesn't mean it, but doesn't mean to use her. Yeah. But but we really get down dirty with it. Her Hero is kind of using her. To fulfill some kind of like power fantasy that she has for herself. Yeah. Yeah. She 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 enjoys the drama of creating this big secret and knowing that no one would figure it out. Yeah. And cause she the, because in the world of you then she becomes Belle's um Basically she becomes her manager. Yeah, she does everything. She helps to compose the song, she does the outfits that she wears in the world. Um, she sets up like when she performs and stuff like that. So she she is her manager within that world. And I think what's interesting at this point, when she goes to Hero, there's a bunch, because she's getting all of these followers all at once, there's a bunch of, ugh, sorry, there is a bunch of 
comments that are popping up and they're either like oh my gosh we love Belle or who is she she's not that important she's not even that pretty like kind of like petty stuff but like there's like well, it, there's it, it two sides does, it gets in the internet internet culture yeah in that way and it's always like when there's the when there's the new thing a lot of times it gets kind of pushed to the side yeah. it gets like oh well, who are you who are you you're nobody with mm-hmm. your few followers and we're talking about like an online space like how how you is you in in this world has five billion users that's a huge yeah. user base mm-hmm. so having like a hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand followers compared to five billion users yeah is nothing is nothing yeah <laughs> i mean nowadays if you if you had that many like it it's worth batting an eye yeah. at <laughs> and then i think i want to say in her Good. first concert when they did the, the sphere concert or maybe not her first concert. It's just a concert she does in, like, this sphere thing that they set up in the world of you. I think they said something like one to two billion people were expected to, yeah. to like, go in and, like, see it or whatever. But before that... Um, Which that would be the biggest concert yeah, yeah. in history. <laughs> for Yeah, for sure. Before that, though, I want to talk about... There is a scene in between... Uh, where she goes and she visits her friend here and they talk about everything going on in the world of you, how she's blowing up, this, that, and the other. Suzu um, is with a bunch of these older ladies who are in, I, I'm guessing, which is kind of like a community choir situation. You later learn out, learn, you or find out that they um, were friends with her mom. They were all part of a choir. So that's Suzu's connection with these older ladies. That's kind of where you get to, that's where her love of music and singing comes from. Exactly. And so I, I, I think one super important thing is that they were talking to Suzu about, uh, you know, Suzu doesn't want to sing. And they're like, come on, you need to sing. Like, you know, like, you know, your mother would want you to do this and be happy. And then all of a sudden, Suzu's like, well, how can one find happiness? And what's funny is... Well, what is happiness? Well, right. And none of the ladies can answer her. And so I think I think that is so interesting is that I think that's what Suzu wants. She wants to be happy, but she doesn't know what happiness is, and she doesn't know how to find it. And so, like, I just thought that was... I think I think that part is a little... is, like, important. I don't know how you feel about that one scene. But I think it's important because it's like, you don't ask questions. I feel like typically you don't ask questions like that unless you feel like you've never found that. Like, I don't think I would ever ask, like, how can you find happiness? Because I think I have plenty of examples in my life of what happiness is. And, like, I'm I'm pretty fulfilled in terms of happy. But for Suzu, she was only happy when her mom was still alive. And then she kind of spirals down into depression and she hasn't been able to lift herself out of it. So uh, for me, I just thought it was an important scene. I don't know about no, you. No, it's definitely important scene and asking the question, what is happiness is very important. Exactly where does happiness come from? Yeah. Is a very important question to ask. And it is kind of, again, going back to the theme of like her perking up after she enters the world of you and she starts singing, she starts getting a bunch of followers and yeah. then she starts doing like concerts and stuff like that in this online world. Mm-hmm. But then... It's kind of like fake happiness, though. It, it is fake happiness. It yeah. is. It's not truly happy for her. It's kind of like something she's doing to let off some steam, obviously. Yeah. It's, um, you know, 
But, so, and then that enters the, where they have the concert in the sphere. And then that's when you meet the next big character, which, um, is the beast or the dragon. There's a couple different, you know, depends on, like, who you're talking to in the movie, what he's called. But whatever the beast is what we'll just call him. But the beast entered the world of you in the martial, martial artist scene. He did a bunch of fights and stuff, and he was kind of like a champion. And then I guess he just got hated on, really. Like, no one really likes him because he was beating everyone up so hard that he was breaking their code, the Avatar's code, and the Avatar would break in the world. What's And then you also kind of get a big introduction to the Justices. Did you talk about them? I can't remember. Did we say anything about them in the beginning? I think I've mentioned them, but I haven't talked about them yet. Yeah, so you, you kind of get introduced into the justices, which, um, they're, I think one thing to know is that they're heavily sponsored by a bunch of different companies, and they're not really allowed to call themselves, like, the police of you, but that's pretty much what they're, that's like they're, the job they're taking on, kind of. And the leader of the justices, his name ironically is Justin. And he uses a power that's called Unveil. By using this green light to shine on the avatars, it breaks the connection. Some kind of connection between... Um, well, it like, it like breaks the code of the AS. Yeah. So the the AS gets stripped away. And, and it's then just it's, a, it's replaced with the, like the an avatar of what the, the person actually looks like IRL. Yeah. So you just see like what the biometrics is scanning on the person. I don't know. The scene is so hectic. I don't know how to talk about it. The The best that I can say about it is that, or what I take away from the whole scene is Wait, like, don't re- Well, uh, no, keep no, going. No, no, finish no, your, no, finish your thought. No. Finish your thought. All I was going to say, the biggest thing that I could take away from the scene is that for the first time, you see Suzu become interested in someone and wanting to know someone and what their problem is. I, for me, that's the, the, the takeaway from the, the whole scene. Yeah, that makes me think she sees someone's... She doesn't recognize it, I wouldn't say, uh, at least consciously. Yeah. But subconsciously, I think she recognizes that someone else is going through some kind of pain, some having some kind of issues. It's that where she manifests hers in her songs. Yeah. He manifests it... Outwardly. In, in his fighting and his violence. Yeah. And he also... It's... <laughs> I think you mentioned it before, but the Beast has um, on, like, a cape, and on the back of the cape, there are a bunch of bruise marks, and um, that's important for the story. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about the Beast more in a minute. Yeah. And the big takeaway from the scene for me is really the introduction of the Justices, and you get to see who the Justices are. Yeah. And really, from the beginning... It should and purposely leave a uh, a bad taste in your mouth about who these people are, because despite claiming to try and uh, protect the people, look out for the people's uh, best interests in you in this online world, uh, you begin to wonder if they if that's their actual goal, and I think it's pretty clear that it's that's not. Yeah. I don't know what their goal technically would be, though. I mean, like, they're trying to play these, like, do-gooders, but, like, they're, they go about it in the worst way possible. It's like a bully calling 
a bully bully. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's, well, it's like the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I wrote down the note, and it's like, in the scene, because the Beast, they, they blame him for ruining Belle's concert that she's supposed to be putting on. Yeah, but it's not really him who's ruining it. Well, it is and it isn't. But at the same time, they kind of take over. They take over the scene. They're wearing like flashy white, red, gold uniforms. Yeah. Uh, trying to look like fucking Power Rangers and shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but they immediately start throwing accusations at the Beast because of his violence. I mean, it's these accusations, the, the way the Beast fights is extremely violent. It, yeah. It's definitely, not, it's definitely nothing to be praised. But. <laughs> but they also like. They're also not like stopping to ask him any like sincere questions. Like, why are you doing? They're they're, they're putting on a, they're putting on they're putting themselves. Uh, they're using the beast to put on a show is what yeah. they're doing. And in that in the way the show and uh, their leader Justin is uh, especially guilty of this. But if you really listen to the way they talk and their in their body language, it's marked by this very dramatic. Yeah. language very dramatic gestures and movements mm-hmm. to draw attention to themselves make themselves look big make themselves look tough mm-hmm. and the language they use is to make them it's uh formulated in such a way to make them sound virtuous and that see and seekers and protectors of justice and for the greater good which is a whole concept that i have a lot of issues with but anyway that's an, that's a, a rant for another day uh and basically it's just it says to me it's like Look at me and how good and noble I am. Mm-hmm. Look at me how virtuous I am. And it's just, it's basically a bunch of virtue signaling. It's like, I'm a good person. Look at me fight this violent beast. Yeah. And at this point, I would like to add that um, there are some very small similarities to Disney's Beauty and the Beast. But I would like to note that, like, it, it's very far a few between the, the core concept of there being, like, like a a hidden away person and then like this you know beauty bell comes in and kind of changes his heart is kind of there but it's completely different um well the allegory the allegory is there or the illusion is there and uh mama osoda knows that he did that yeah yeah, he did that yeah he actually worked with people what is that guy who um, i don't don't remember the name who comes over from disney to dub i don't remember the Tim the, something. The guy's name. But he was a guy who did work on Disney films like Beauty and the Beast. And yeah. I know he mentioned he worked on Tangled as well. Yeah. Which is a... I know you really like that movie. Yeah. Tangled's good. But and, he uh, worked with that guy who works with Studio Ghibli yeah. um, to to get those movies dubbed in English. Mm-hmm. I forget what his name I think... I forget what his name is. Yeah. But he but, gets the whole musical bit and he helped him create the movie to be more well musical. it's like what we were talking about earlier is like there's no there's not really a music cinematic music tradition yeah in japan that doesn't exist so he but that does exist in the west and especially disney at least in the 90s really mastered that art yeah and so he brings him in and helps him with uh that piece and i mean the result it speaks for itself it's excellent but I mean, even like the the character names, like obviously the Beast, mm-hmm. mean the Beast, and then uh, Suzu's avatar's name, Bell, I mean spelled Bell like the actual like like the literal Bell, but then she kind of gets this uh, nickname. Well, 
everyone in, in this the world nickname in you, which is the uh, French word Belle, B-E-L-L-E, which is also the title of the film, which in French means beauty, which is also the name of the protagonist yeah. from Beauty and the Beast. I want to say she ends up changing her name in you as well to that, or does everyone just call her that? Everyone just calls her that. Yeah, She's still... which uh, there's like hardly, you can hardly tell the difference anyway, Belle, Belle, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. the pronunciation is the same. Yeah. Especially in... But the, the wording is... The, the spelling, excuse me, is yeah. different. Yeah. So, um, and then... Um, so, again, like, my biggest takeaway was that Suzu actually showed interest in someone and wanting to know, you know, what what's going on with the Beast um, and who he is. So, um, it kind of shifts a little bit from her singing to... Uh, Suzu and her friend uh, Hiro, right? That's her mm-hmm. name. Yeah, and Hiro um, really takes the the attacks, the supposed the supposed attacks by the beast, uh, pretty personally. Personal, yeah. And starts this whole vendetta man manhunt, which takes up a decent portion of the film. Yeah, like who to is try, the beast? To try to figure out who the beast is, so they can get him unveiled and get him out of their hair, so they yeah. can go on doing what they were doing. And yeah. uh, uh, it's just part of what like Hiro is a good friend to Suzu. Yeah. But she's not as good a friend as also she should be. Like she really goes after the beast, really just because yeah. she's messing up with like her little pet project that she's got going on with her with Suzu and Belle. Yeah. And uh Well, I and do she, think I do think I do think that Hero was aiding Suzu because Suzu herself wanted to know who the beast was. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it's half and half for Hero. I think it was half like I think more of the half was, okay, you messed up my show that I had all planned out for her to sing in the world of you. So I'm going to find you and get you unveiled. But I also think part of it was like her friend, Su- like Suzu did want to know. And so she was like, you know. Yeah. So she was more than willing to go along with it. Yeah. But yeah, she, she kind of does have a little bit of a vendetta. And then, uh, the other thing about hero's character real quick, is just that one reason why I don't think she's not as good a friend as she should be or could be is that she's more than willing to, play into or indulge Suzu in her insecurities and her trauma. Yeah. Instead of trying to like get her to move on from it. Mm-hmm. Like another one of her friends does. Yeah, you're talking about a childhood friend. Uh Shinobu. Yeah, Shinobu. Yeah. Who really is like I said, he's the best friend that she could ever ask for. Yeah. What's sad what's sad is like you realize you truly realize that towards the end like unless you've been like us and seen it a couple times. You truly only get that at the end of the movie, but if you look back on it, it's so true, and what's sad is Suzu's so unreceptive to it. She does not want, it's like she doesn't want help so badly, she pushes all of these people away. Who could help her? Like, the the choir ladies, her dad, him, like, Shinobu, you know, like, all of these people want desperately to help her rise above the trauma and everything, but she is just so unwilling to do it, you know? So obviously there's this incredible person that she could be. Yeah. And her avatar in you is a representation of that. Like, this is the person you could be. Exactly. Like, but that's the person who she is in music, and it was very easy for her to obtain you. All she had to do was log in and let the device read her biometrics and just create an avatar and, like, boom. Yeah. And, like, put out one song, well, which her and, friend then uh, did a bunch of variations of it, and all yeah. of a sudden she has all this big stardom, but she didn't really work for that. It was just kind of given to her. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, at this point, is you can see the difference 
and Suzu in the real world versus how she acts in the online world. She's a completely different person in both scenarios. In the real world, she is like a cowering little girl who is like super shy, doesn't want to speak up or anything. But in the world of you, she's like a pop diva idol. You know, like, and that, but that is also who her friend Hiro has kind of made her out to be. She is a diva of the world of you. And in real life, that's just not who she is yet. Or, you know, like she, because like you said, she could become a great person, but she just hasn't allowed herself the potential to do so yet. So, yeah, so they, you know, sorry, kind of went off a little bit. Um, No, it's all relevant. So Hiro, and again, with Suzu, they're trying to figure out who he is. They kind of go through a couple different characters None of them are the real beast. But what's interesting is Belle goes, Suzu goes into the world of you as Belle, and um, she kind of gets a lead. Well, Hero gets a lead on where the, the castle is supposed to be. So the castle is the beast's hideout. Um, he just kind of hides there to be away from everyone while he's in the world of you because the justices are kind of after him. So, um, Hero kind of gets, like, a lead on where the castle might be, so Suzu jumps in, tries to go find it, and I think... Oh, let me finish that thought, then I'll jump in. I was just gonna say, I think what's really cool is that, so they have AIs in you, and they're protecting the castle, aka protecting the beast. Um, they're kind of like the representation of, like, what Mrs. Potts and Lemoyer and Clocksworth and stuff would be in the original. No, absolutely. That's exactly what they are. <laughs> yeah, but I just think, I just thought it was so interesting that, like, AIs, like, I guess my question is, like, do you think that the world of you created those AIs, or do you think it was, like, the Beast wrote the code for the AIs? No, I think the world created them. And but they became friends with the beast. And yeah, they, they, they latched. They, him. they latched onto him and his character. Yeah, and and I think I think that is important to note. Like you said, they latched onto his character, but like, why did they latch onto him? Because he needs protecting. If you think about it, a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah, they they really do do a lot to protect him and protect the uh, his hideout, the castle. Yeah, and I just I think that is so lovely because they saw past what everyone else couldn't see. I just think there's. I just think that's worth noting. Mm-hmm. You were gonna say something. No, I was just gonna say something about the uh, location where the actual uh, castle is. Where the castle is, and it's in this. It's separated from like the main area of yeah. you. It's in what I guess you could presumably say like what used to be. He, uh, what you what it used the ruins. to. Yeah, like what used to probably used to be the center of you. Probably when you first got started, mm-hmm. it started in this like real small area and eventually expanded. Yeah. out and away from there and so it's obviously not well kept up mm-hmm. uh everything's kind of falling apart or kind of like uh staticky or yeah like, Cracked uh, bre- breaking jaded. up breaking up going in and out with the code and all that mm-hmm. and uh when eventually you get to the castle the castle's like that too yeah and i think that is a reflection upon the beast uh actual broken character that he yeah. is well also, also- and, and, and even uh Going back to the Avatar that, uh, who was the first Avatar to interact with Belle, uh, with Suzu's uh, Avatar, uh, the an- angel. The angel. He he's broken as well, but he's actually has like some kind of mental disability. In the real world, yeah. In, in the he, real world, he actually he has like a mental has a disability. Handicap. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. And uh, but the beast IRL K actually uh, he's he's broken for another reason. Like yeah, I was like they lost their mother as well. At least that's insinuated. Yeah. Well, no, the dad says that in an online interview. If you remember, yeah, there's a scene. Yeah. Yeah, so they lost their mother as well, and obviously broken from that. And mm-hmm. then, for whatever reason, after the mother dies, their father becomes extremely abusive. The asshole. Yeah, it comes extremely abusive, and uh, would uh, probably beat Kay's little brother, who I forget the, I forget his name. Oh, right down his Show? name. No. No, what's his name? But I, just I, I look totally it up. did just not. Look it up real quick. I totally did not write his name down. But uh, yeah, Kay's. A uh, little brother who is mentally disabled. So, being mentally disabled, his father gets in trouble with his dad a lot for just not being not being all there, not being able to like, as his father says, like follow his it's orders. I think it starts with an M. But uh, yeah. So Tomo. 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 Yeah. So K protects Tomo from his father mm-hmm. and uh, takes a lot of the, a lot of the heat. Especially the physical heat, so Kay ends up getting beat a lot, and that's where the bruises on the the beast's cape comes from. Yeah, and um, I think it's I think it's important to know that you you never actually they never show like the physical like abuse, uh, but it's heavily insinuated. It is like so t- intense. Uh, in the one scene that you get where you see the father interacting with the kids. Yeah, I I feel like that's probably uh. The sensibilities of the Japanese uh, cinema audience, as well as uh, Japanese regulations and filmmaking and and ratings and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I I, I feel like they weren't actually able to physically show that. I I just, I think it's worth noting that, like, even though you, even though you don't get to see it happening, just, like, the atmosphere he creates around that scene it is so cringy. Yeah, you, like, you know, you know you what's going like, on. Oh yeah, you hundred. There's no doubt what's what's actually happening. And then even in the scenes like uh, obviously, uh, Susie's avatar Belle goes to the castle. Yeah, uh, a couple of times. One time she goes there. She does find the beast crouched over on the balcony. Yeah, and uh, more bruises are appearing on his cape. Yeah, in, and, in it, the it's moment, a, and it's insane. And then uh, there's a quick shot. Of a Tomo's avatar, the angel, yeah. lying, just lying on the ground. So it's insinuated that K is act in IRL is actively protecting Tomo and uh, is getting beat by his father. Yeah, and the thing is, because Tomo is Tomo is a little touched. He thinks that it's his fault for everything, but K makes it very clear to Tomo that that he wants he he like K takes a take. K takes it upon himself to take full responsibility for the way that his father is acting so that his little brother doesn't feel like it's his fault. Which, like, it's neither of their fault, obviously. Yeah, they just, um, for whatever reason, because of a series of unfortunate circumstances, they ended up in this really terrible situation. Yeah. Their father being a complete shithead. Yeah. Um... But Kay is, like, brother of the year. He really tries to protect Tomo. Yeah. Uh, we kind of skipped ahead a lot. Um, no, it's fine. We're not, Again, we're not going through the... We're not have, we don't have to go through this, the film scene by scene. Yeah. We're just going through, talking about the major themes in the, film, in the uh, yeah. film that stood out to us. And talking about Kay taking it upon himself to protect his little brother. 
I think the theme of responsibility plays into that, and it really, I think yeah. responsibility is central to the development of All Evolved, especially Suzu. Like, oh. it's that, oh, definitely. it's responsibility that really sees her go from being this shut in child that she really is, even though mm. she's 16, she really is still just a child. Yeah. And when she takes on this responsibility to find the beast, learn mm. about the beast and find and about Kay's situation and then standing up for the beast, Kay and Tomo that taking on that responsibility. And it's not easy. Mm-mm. She suffers a lot because of it. Yeah. But in that's fact, really she, what, that's when she, that's when she actually grows in yeah. real life. In my opinion, I think it's like, there's a lot there. Like, I feel like it's so sad. Cause like, I feel like the parts were like, Suzu's in the castle with Belle, with, um, with Kay, and then they have, like, these off moments where, like, they're kind of showing what's going on in, like, Suzu's real life, because, like, at that point, they still don't know who, like, the beast truly is. I think it's kind of, like, I almost feel like it's a kind of, like, just a bunch of, like, noise happening. There's, like, the one scene where, like, Suzu and her childhood friend, Shinobu, talk, and he, like, tries to get her attention, so he, like, grabs her hand. And then there's, like, this big group chat that happens with, like, all the girls in her grade or something about yeah. how, how dare she do that. Like, it, he it was would never of, be it, into you. Like, it was an amusing it was an amusing bit of drama. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, a quick... But also... Probably, it was probably, like, a quick two-minute little piece of the movie, but... Yeah, but it, it was, it, it's also, though, like, girls are scary. I am, I am a woman, and I genuinely, like... Girls are scary people. I mean, like, in my, high my... school especially, the cattiness <laughs> is just, like, always there. It's always raging. I mean, my mother has told me several times that she it, she's glad that I came out a boy. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it... And, <laughs> you know, I, and she's told me several times, like, so she's seen the movie Mean Girls, and when she saw that, it's like, yep, it's pretty damn accurate. Girls are like that. Yeah. And, it is so true. And I get too much of my, my mom's story, but... Uh, she was on the bigger side in high school. Like she was not. Yeah, she was. She was not. Are you sure? Yeah, ask her. <laughs> oh my gosh, when, I don't believe no, it. No, when we go, when we go there tomorrow for lunch, ask her about it. Oh God, your mom is so tiny. Yeah, now she is. Well, she was like bodybuilder sensation. Yeah, after she grew up, but like in high school, she was bullied. Uh, yeah, she was bullied. She was overweight, and wow, all, that's all so like that. surprising. So she she's been on the receiving end of like the uh, vindictiveness of yeah girls. Well, I mean, I've talked to your mom too about like and then she, she has, used and to work she, like in the offices with all female staff, and, and she's got a that, lot of she's got a lot of terrible stories about that too. Dude, that's so true. And you know what's funny? That so translates and so, like like okay, how girls act in high school completely transfers over to the adult world when you work in an office with women. I don't know what it is. I wish I kind of knew the psychology behind why girls act the way we do. But, like, there's, like, such a thing there. Like, I always try to make sure, like, I'm on equal playing field with everyone. But, like, there are some people who just are not. It is so terrible. Like, people will just do anything. Well, I think there is a... I think with both of the sexes, there is a... uh... There's a battle for dominance for both. For men, a lot of times that translates into like physical dominance. Uh-huh. For women, that's social dominance. Oh God, no! Count and, me out. <laughs> and you either play the game to be on top socially, or you resign yourself to being an underling. 
I'll be an underling any day. No, you won't. I, I remember you from high school. What? What are you talking I'm about? I'm not saying you were a bitch in high school. You absolutely were not. Well, one of the but teachers you, called you, me a bitch. But you were not going to lay... But you're not one of those that's like lay down and just take it either. Yeah, you're right. I'm kind of like an in-between. Yeah. Though a lot of... You know, I say that, but then like anytime I had a group project, I was always the leader. Because I was like, let's get this shit done. Like... <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So you're more on the dominant side of the spectrum. Yeah, I, yeah. Honestly, I probably am. Like you don't feel like you were, but in a general, in the grand in, scheme, in the of grand things, scheme, I probably yeah, yeah I probably am. But but, but like, I also like the the thing with me too. Just super quick, the thing with me too is that like I also am not going to hang around people I don't want to hang around with. So like if I know I'm not going to get along with people, I just like separate myself. Like that's just how I've always been. Like if I don't feel. If I don't feel like I'm going to get along with a certain group, I'm not going to waste my time and try to, like, make myself fit into it. So I'll just separate myself. And that might cause me a little bit of grief. You know, I might I might not want to do that, but I think I just naturally do that because I don't want the conflict. Um, And I'd rather there be peace than there be, like, conflict. So, anywho. But yeah, girls are scary. Uh, That scene just, like, confirms, like, every female high school experience ever. Yeah, when the rumor starts going around that uh, Shinobu and Suzu are... Are, like, getting together. Are, like, are like a thing. Yeah. And, like, all the girls are... All the girls are really upset about it because she's the... She's the lonely one, the gloomy one, the not-so-pretty one. Yeah. It's yeah. like, why would he be interested in her? Like, how dare he... How dare she but take him from us and all that, all that kind of crap. Yeah, and in the process of this, there... Uh, I think... Well, it's really just, like, for comic relief. There's that girl... Um, what's her name? Ruka. Mm-hmm. Um, Who is, like, the pretty popular girl in the school. She is the pretty popular girl, and everyone thinks that Ruka likes Shinobu, but that's not true. She likes someone else. Well, it's not really that everyone... Suzu thinks that, and uh, Hero at one point also, like, kind of feeds into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. As well. You're right, you're right. I think I'm just assuming that yeah. the other girls want Ruka to get together but, with him. But no, when uh, Hero was having a conversation about, like, after that whole fiasco with all the all the girls in her grade, Hero and Caesar were having a conversation, and she was kind of saying, like, had it been Ruka and not you, they wouldn't have blown up about it like oh, that. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it would, because you're the gloomy one and Ruka's the popular one. Yeah, so it makes sense for the good looking people and the popular people to get together. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like stay within your social lane, you know? I feel like that's also, uh, maybe it's different now because of the whole, like, I don't know what high school's like anymore. But I felt like when we were in high school, I almost feel like that was true. Like, I feel like it hasn't changed much. You don't think so? I feel like that's, that's true, though. I feel like um, a lot of kids, you know, Typically, I feel like what happens is, like, the good-looking kids get with the good-looking, you know, the good-looking guys get with the good-looking girls. And then if there's a weird, if there's, like, a happenstance where, like, it's, like, a good-looking guy gets with, like, you know, the shy, kind of meek girl, it's like, oh my gosh, the world's freaking ending. Yeah. You know, or, and vice versa, if there's, like, a hot girl and she ends up going out with, like, a guy who's, like, overweight and all this, that, and the other. But, like, it really, in the grand scheme, it really shouldn't matter. Everyone's got their preference. Yeah. So, but anyway, so yeah, I just thought that was just some comic relief. Uh, they had another comic relief section where, um, or just like a section where like you can kind of see Suzu growing a little bit. Ruka bumps into Suzu or they like meet or something. I no, like they're, after that blow up as well, like uh, 
She meets Ruka, Ruka in the train Ruka, stop, right? Ruka is, like, sending her a text, asking her, like, hey, can we talk? And Suzu and Hiro both assume it's about Shinobu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and Suzu obviously gets super upset because she actually does like Shinobu, but she feels like she can't because, again, she's, like, meek, shy girl, whatever. Well, her and Ruka end up getting together. She finds out who Ruka's really into, and then... Uh, there's this big comic relief scene. If you don't see the movie, you should look up this scene. Uh, I think you just gotta type in like Bell. Oh, the the, tra- the scene at the train station. Yeah, just type in like Bell train station scene. With- Which is really from a filmmaking standpoint, and just the way that scene played out is a it's really old. a really great example of like how to tell a story without being overbearing with it. Like you can mm-hmm. a lot gets done without hardly any dialogue. Yeah. And even well, then, and when there is dialogue, it happens off screen. Yeah. But you still get it. Out. You, Just still, the way- you still understand what's happening. I haven't been a film student for a very long time, so I can't really explain it technically, but it's it's very well done. Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, like, I remember when the movie first came out in the States, that was one of the first scenes that hit the internet after it got released in theaters. Yeah, because it's so good. It's, it's so good. And in the bonus features on the DVD... Uh, the director does a play-by-play of the entire scene because it's that well done. He describes everything that's happening and why they had it the way they had it because of how it draws the watcher's eyes and views and stuff like that. Um, it's a really good scene. Totally recommend to at least go see it. Um, I don't really feel like we need to really discuss what super happens in it. No, it's not really when you talk about really, the the theme of the film. Yeah, it's not too too central to that. Yeah, but next, you, but you do kind of see Suzu take a more dominant in that scene. You do get see Suzu kind of take a more dominant role IRL yeah. rather than just her own persona. You do kind of see that there's there's hints of her yeah. that she actually is changing, but there's still hurdles that she has to leap over, and she's just avoiding them. Yeah. Well, and, and that's interesting you said it, because in that one scene, she does kind of step it up. And then in the very next scene where she bumps into Shinobu, boom, she's back to how she was. She runs. She hightails it out of there. And then they all end up um, at um, Suzu's elementary school. That's kind of where they have their base operations. Her and Yeah, her Hiro, friend Hiro gets kicked out of her uh, parent, her parents', her parents office. Family. Because she was kind of taking up the family room. Yeah. Using it as, like, her her station. Apparently, she's, like, a... She's, like, really smart. She's, she's a super si- She's, like, a, a science... She's, like, super into physics, a, a science whiz. Yeah. And really into computers and technology and stuff like that. And she's very fucking good at it. She, her setup is, like... Is insane. Is insane. She has, like, her own... She's, like, literally... Her screens are as big as whiteboards. Like, uh, like I don't know how she cares all that, but she does. She's insane, yeah, but yeah, they but had the, so homes. they have to relocate to the the old elementary school, which yeah. is no longer operation. But they uh, they sign out of room and they set up everything in there, and that's yep. where they kind of do all their stuff. And that's kind of where they wind they wind up next because what's happening in the world of you is that um, the Beast Castle gets found because because at one uh, point Justin kind of. I mean, call it what it is. She basically, he basically abduct, abducts Belle. And interrogates, and interrogates her. her. Like, in this really, legit, bad cop style. In this really intense scene. Oh, yeah. And uh, talking about, asking questions like, why is there no law enforcement in you? Especially now that it's grown to 
resemble the real world so yeah. much and we have police in the real world why not have police online and that made me think of a lot of things that are going on especially now mm-hmm. and uh suzu has some uh and bell has have some uh great lines to counteract that i think i have that on the next page you, of my notes yeah you definitely wrote it down what was interesting about that scene before you say this is that bell stays silent for pretty much all of it except the very the, the tail end of the conversation and it's funny because the whole time justin he's asking these questions but he's also answering himself he's such a narcissist mm-hmm. he just wants to hear himself talk the whole time and that kind of it, it plays into the lie that the justices are really are yeah and susan calls him on it spot fucking on like i had to pause the movie and write down that quote it's uh when she comes back and says, you don't care about justice. You just want to control other people. Mm-hmm. Which Literally is really <laughs> what all it is. And especially all this guy, uh, gate, gatekeeping culture, the woke culture. Fucking come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all this other bullshit that's going on, especially so relevant to today. Yeah. It's just people want to control other people. It's, it's not about justice or making people feel comfortable in their own bias or representation or uh, diversity and shit like that it's just people wanting to exert control over other people's lives Mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to it's not justice it's not virtue uh i mean even socrates plato uh aristotle plutarch and uh all ancient thinkers Mm -hmm. and even the enlightenment thinkers of the 16 17 1800s would absolutely say no this isn't fucking justice this is just a new kind of tyranny yeah which even then, it's not a new kind of tyranny. It's a tyranny that's existed before. It's just being manifested in a kind of newish way with the because of the new technology. Yeah. But yeah, it's 100% trying to control other people. Mm. That's what it's all about. I think it's also important to note, like, okay, so he interrogates her, and that's how he finds the castle. Yeah, because uh, in a scene before that, mm-hmm. of, during the song, Lend Me Your Voice, which is a a, a great song. Oh, but so good. I'll, I'll talk about the songs later. Tomo's avatar, the angel, gives her and, and Kay's avatar, the beast, uh, each a rose. Mm-hmm. And I guess a petal got stuck, got became a part of her avatar. It became part of her outfit. Yeah, it became part of her outfit. Yeah. But then when she... When she gets interrogated. When she gets interrogated and she escapes, she, uh, that the petal falls out mm-hmm. and gets left behind. And Justin sees it, picks it up, and... Obviously, there's the code there, to it. There's, it. Obviously, it's code, so he can track down where the pedal came from, yeah. which is obviously the Beast Castle, and that's how they find out where he is. I think it's important to know that the only reason... So, uh, Justin was threatening to unveil uh, Belle in the interrogation, and uh, she almost kind of does get unveiled, but the AIs that have been protecting the Beast intervene <laughs> and basically save her. So, it, it's cool that, like... At one point, the AIs do trust Belle to protect the Beast, and so they also, in turn, protect her. Um, I just think that's important because, like, in the beginning, they were so, like, why are you here? Like, get out, get out. Like, our master doesn't want you here, kind of thing. Um, But, I mean, the the Beast does come around, especially in that one scene where she gives him the song as, like, a gift. And there's kind of a whole ballroom scene thing, almost like being the Beast, but not really, honestly. They... It's completely different. There's a chandelier and shit like that. But, I mean, it's pretty different, honestly. There's a few scenes where it is 
it, pretty it, stamp similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it gives you like that feel, but it doesn't like it doesn't take away from this story's story, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, so when you know, so after all the stuff that goes down, they all meet back at the elementary school. The beast's castle is on fire, so she goes in. She tries to save them, and then and he just he just uh, dips out. Yeah, he he just leaves, and um, Justin is like pissed off because he can't find the beast. And basically, what happens is there's this well the the video call really well yeah so well but, but before the, so like Susie's trying to find the beast. And she's thinking about all these clues about, like, their interactions together. And she finally, like, thinks she's figured it out. Well, she hears Tomo singing the song that only Belle and the Beast should know. Um, and so that's how she knows that it's them. Like, she knows that Tomo's not the Beast, but she knows that he's involved. And so then she thinks of the angel who's always hanging around the Beast. So it kind of makes that connection. Yeah. And then I think, doesn't Kay come into... Yeah, well, that's the scene we were were talking about earlier where you almost see the uh, physical child abuse. Yeah, Kay comes in to protect Tomo. Again, I think it's like a ratings thing in Japan. It's like they they can't actually show that, but it's heavily implied. Yeah, and so what happens is they're watching all of this happen. Um, Suzu and um, the other kid, they're, they're all there. They're all watching it happen. And... So Suzu calls them, video calls them, and she totally forgets that, like, they've only ever seen her as Belle and, and you, so they don't trust her right off the bat. So it's kind of, it's so sad because, like, you can see Suzu's, like, she's, like, overflowing with this, like, I want to protect you, like, please trust me, but, like, Kay is, like, how could we ever trust you? Like, everyone always says it's going to be okay and that nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it's such an empowering, like, not empowering. It's a very impactful scene when Kay just, like, goes off on her. Yeah. He's like, he says, he says help me over and over and over again yeah, in Japanese, but it's so powerful. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I think, uh, Taskete. Yeah, but over and over and over again, it's just like, help me, help me, help me, help me. You always say you're going to help me, but nothing ever changes. Like, help me, help me, help me. And, like, it's just, like, it's so, like, it's so, like, it's, like, it's, like, a true plea. It's, like, a true plea of, like, I'm so sick and tired of you just saying it. I need you to do something. And it kind of, like, real quick, it kind of it leans into the actual violence that he portrays in you through through Beast Avatar. It's like all he knows is violence. That's like people have talked and said like, oh, we can figure this out without it. But talk is cheap. But nothing ever actually changes. And uh, the the violence of his father and obviously IRL, he can't physically protest it because his father is so much bigger than him and obviously can beat his ass. Yeah. AKA i.e. the bruises. And so he takes out that uh that So he, he takes out that violence, that anger and aggression through the violence that he expresses in you, which which is what makes everybody hate him, which just Yeah. Which also he, makes him the character of the beast though. Yeah, which is fine cuz he <laughs> he focuses all this anger and hatred towards him because it feels like that's all he's good for and if he can funnel all this anger and hatred towards him then mm. it's funneled away from his brother tomo mm. and that's probably one of the reasons why kids like like him so much is because like 
the online world is not a good place for kids. No. And, I mean, you see that in a couple of scenes in the film where kids are talking, where kids will come on and they're, they're talking about expressing their feelings of, like, gratitude or, like, respect for the beast and what mm-hmm. the beast represents to them. And then, uh, and then all, all these adults come and in. And all these, like, uh, young adults and adults come in and is like, yeah, who cares about what y'all say? Y'all have, like, no followers. Yeah. Y'all are just kids. Y'all have, like, no standing either in you or in real life. It's like, who cares about what y'all think? It's like, bro, they're kids. <laughs> like, everyone is allowed to have an opinion. Yeah, but when you're when you're online, it's extremely easy to not see the people that you're interacting with as human. Yeah. You just see their the code that is their avatars. Yeah. Or just like a screenshot or a profile picture or a few words in a text or something like that. Yeah. You don't see a human being. You just see an algorithm. No, no. I know. I know. And it doesn't matter if that's a child or an adult or whatever. Yeah. Man, woman, whatever. So you see... So, you know... You see the scene, and Kate ends up hanging up on her because he does not trust her. So, which um, leads into the the, the big climactic. Well, it's one of the climactic. It, it's kind of there's kind of a double climax. There's the climax in you, and there's the climax IRL. But the climax in you is is really important. Ridiculously good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it honestly like and the song a million miles away. Oh. Is a, a good piece is, is a great piece and you cry every time you see it. Oh my gosh, y'all. Like, if you want to be moved, <laughs> look now, up. I'm talking about you specifically, like you cry whenever you I see it. I can't help it. It's such a good it's such a good scene. Cause like, okay, this is what happened. I'm gonna lay it out for you guys who have either seen or not seen the movie. Okay. So what happens is her friends, um shoot, how do you say his name again? Shinobu. Yeah, okay. So her friend Shinobu is like, you gotta sing. You gotta sing as yourself and you. So that they'll trust you and they'll know that you're not lying. So she pops up in you and she, so everyone's gathered around Belle because like, okay. That's kind of funny because IRL, IRL, she's she's, he's telling her that and then Hero is like saying like, no, she can't do that. Yeah. She'll revert back to being a cryberry like she always was. And she and they're going back and forth. And then Suzu herself is having a mental breakdown right there oh, on yeah. the spot. She is she is like super suffering. Like she, she there's like an internal conflict within her and you can't like she's trying she knows to Shinobu's it. right, but she's oh, yeah. fucking terrified. Yeah, she's super, taking super that afraid. <laughs> so and also what's going on in the world of you is like so for for a while, Belle has kind of been MIA, right? She's been hanging out with the beast. She's been going to his castle, whatever. So, all of a sudden, Belle shows up in you, and, like, everyone freaking swarms her because they're like, oh my gosh, it's Belle, like, sing for us, blah, blah, blah. So, um, Justin is kind of, like, hiding out in the back with the justices. He's like, wait for her to sing. She'll, she'll get the beast to come out, and then, like, we'll get the beast, we'll unveil him. So, actually, what happens is, is when she's in the world of you, everyone gives her space. It's kind of like one of those things where, like, Everyone just kind of makes, like, a stage for her. And then um, she ends up not singing. And Justin goes over to her and is like, why aren't you singing? She's like, unveil me. Like, shine your stupid light or whatever. And so she unveils herself in the world of you. And everyone can see that she's just, like, just, like, an ordinary girl. And the scene of how that plays out. It's so intense. I mean, the imagery is very obvious and plain. It's not subtle at all. 
But the when the mass forms around her, it kind of forms this big, just massive egg. giant egg. It looks like an egg. And then when she unveils herself using Justin's power, taking it from him and using it for herself, which is another important thing to make note of, the she- egg people see the unveiling and the the green light that yeah. that whatever fucking contraption it is, you never really get to, you never really go into it, but then it doesn't really matter too too much. Anyway, as the green light shines, the egg everyone is kind of like running away because they don't because they don't want to be unveiled they don't want to get caught in the crossfire yeah so they kind of just like the egg collapses hatches in a way yeah and then she emerges as herself yeah which is like it's so symbolic like she's finally trying to like woman up and like be herself for the first time in a really really long time and and keep in mind we are still made to believe that in the real world she cannot really sing so it's a big deal all of a sudden for her to be in the world of you as herself. And there is, I, I would like to mention, there is this one tiny, tiny, tiny scene where she is singing in the real world. And she's not really having an issue with it, but she's not like overly singing. She's kind of like humming a little something to herself. And that's when you can kind of, after that point, there's kind of like a change in her in the movie. Well, it's not, you, you see the subtle growth with her throughout yeah. the film, but there's no... It's not really meaningful yeah. until the scene that we were just talking about yeah. right now with uh, Amelia Miles. So she, so she emerges as herself, and then her friend Shinobu <laughs> says, okay, this is the music app, boom, starts playing the song, and um, so she she sings. I mean, she and like the whole time, though, she's shaking, she's quivering, like people can see that she's like struggling, and like... I'm gonna get emotional just talking about it. And y'all, it's such a good scene because it's like, it's like she finally has found someone to connect to, and like, she's so desperate to help, like these two boys. She she wants to help them so bad that she's like willing to like, literally give up like her identity in the world of you and like everything to like help them. It is just so moving. And and the song is just like, man, it just hits you right in your heart. It's such a good song. Like, the lyrics are just stupid good. And, like, in a way, though, like, and, like, the, the English is super good. The, Jap- the Japanese is good. And when you read it, I feel like when you listen to the Japanese version, because you have to read the subtitles, it hits home a little harder. Because, like... I'm reading it, and she's not just talking about, like, the beast being a million miles away. She's talking about her mom, too. She's a million miles away, and she can't, you know. Well, yeah, I have have a a whole other take on it, but, yeah. I mean, well, that's, I mean, like, I I can't remember all the lyrics, but, (laughs) like, I was thinking about it when we were watching it, and I was like, she's not just talking about like, the beast being far away and, like, how she wants him to come back to her so that she can help him. She's also thinking about, like, her mom being so far away and, like, wishing that she was there kind of thing. In in my head, anyway. That's, I mean, again, I, I would have to go back and read the lyrics again. But I just think it's so, like, the English version's very, very good as well. But there's something to be said about listening to it in its original audio and reading it. And reading the subtitles for it. It is just like, it just like punches you right in the heart. I think it's really just, uh, it's the difference in the performances of the uh, the singers 
who clearly have like their own it is very similar, but it's still clear that they have their own styles and the way they conduct the song. Yeah. So that's to me that's where the different that's that's where the difference is. The song itself and the theme of the song is still Oh, it's still, it's still the same. It's still the same. And I, I think that think... speaks a lot not just to the original performance of the uh the original performance, but also to the uh English adaption of that. Yeah. No and, uh, offense to y'all French people, but, like, the French dub is not good. Oh, God, it's not good at all. It's not it's good. Really not. You gotta go back feel, and watch I mean, it. I feel sorry for dissing that French singer. I'm sure she, well... she She's actually a really good singer. I looked her up. She's actually a phenomenal singer, but... She didn't bring movie, her A-game for the, no, <laughs> the I, dubbing I of that, that film. I think that the music may have just been hard to translate in French. To be honest, oh, it's like I'm, I'm listening to the Japanese voice and the English voice, and there's a heart and feeling in in those recordings, and I just didn't get that in the French recording. Yeah, I mean, I I know that if I was French and I went to go see that movie in theaters, I would have been. I would I would rather I would rather see it in the original Japanese with French subtitles. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. But I mean, we we I accidentally. Bought the tickets for this movie. Bad choice. I don't know who let me buy them, but we went. I to let go you see, buy them. <laughs> we went to go see the Japanese audio. That was the first time we. Saw it wasn't it. a mistake though. That was. It was, it was so, still so damn was, good. It was so freaking good, but the English is equally as good. I think. But to digress a little bit further, is like yeah, the, yeah, the the grandpa and the little kid behind us had no idea what the fuck was going on. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> God, no. that was annoying. Oh yeah, they were taught the poor kid just like went. Sh- you know, someone was on their phone the entire movie. It too. was the grandpa. Was it the grandpa? Yeah, yeah, he was on his phone the whole time. I think there was like some not Japanese, but some he was from somewhere in Asia and. I didn't understand. I didn't. I couldn't pinpoint exactly what language he was speaking. But I have no idea. And he was clearly just stuck with the kids, like watch the kid while the parents were out for like a yeah, date night or saw, something. Oh, it's an animated movie. Let's watch this. Yeah. And did not know which what was reminds me of when we went to go see The Wind Rises in theaters when that came out, oh, that was... and the family that was sitting in front yeah. of us, the father was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He literally looked at the wife over the kids' heads and was like, "What? What kind of movie is this?" Yeah. Well, okay. I thought this was a kids' movie. For for. <laughs> Anyone who does not know, The Wind Rises was supposed to be Hayao Miyazaki's final film. Uh, he has since come out of retirement. He's doing one more film. Uh, don't know when that's going to get released. Yeah, but there's very but, adult, mature... Well, it's like nothing explicit, but there's definitely... It's a more serious story than what you would expect. Oh, 100%. From just- it is meant to be a serious story. And um, it's a very personal story for Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah, it's basically um, about uh, well, the pretty sure the character in that story is actually a real historical person. It's not his dad, but he kind of like is a substitute for his dad because his dad worked in the. Uh, his dad worked for the um, the Air Force or worked, the, worked in the uh, air the aeronautics industry in Japan, yeah. leading during up to leading up to and during the war. Yeah, yeah. So it hits home for him. Um, it, it was meant to be a very serious movie, and the, the the poor parents in front of us had no idea that's what they were about to watch. The um, wife seemed okay with it. The kids seemed some, at least somewhat okay with it. I don't know if they were understanding everything, but they seemed somewhat okay with it. The yeah. dad was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. This yeah. is not this is not the Looney Tunes that I thought I was bringing my kids to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to Belle. Back to Belle. They have this amazing scene. She sings, and... um. And I mean it. I don't know. Like it. 
Uh, I get so emotional about it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful scene where she sings this whole song, and then like she's pausing and she's sobbing, and then like, so like again going back to like the how like your emotional pain can kind of like translate into you, um, as like a physical aspect. You can tell that everyone's hearts are like feeling it, that everyone's super emotional because everyone's. Everyone's got, like, a a circle, like, a little glowing yellow circle on their chest that looks like a heart beating. And everyone starts doing, like, the... I'm not a singer, but it's like... Anyway, everyone keeps... (laughs) (laughs) Everyone keeps, like, singing that bit over and over again. And it kind of gives Suzu, like, the oomph she needs to continue and finish and like and it goes into the final fanfare of the song yeah when to me it's like she earned her her star, her, her stardom status yeah with that performance and she earned her like like you just said her avatar yeah with that and I, so I mean she, I said it when we were watching I said it when we were watching the film yeah it's like now she now she is now she is now she actually is Belle it, yeah so like she, so after singing as herself, and then all this climax happens, she actually emerges again to sing the final thing of the song in her avatar as Belle. It's very, it's so good. Um, but anyway, so after that happens, um, Kay and Tomo have been watching on you on their computer, and Tomo, his bro, his little brother, who's a little touched, is like, "That's her. That's Belle." Like. And so Kay's like, I don't know if I can trust her yet, but clicks back on the video to talk to them, and they try to figure out, um, you know, where the boys are located so that they can help. Uh, the dad comes back in to the boys' room and turns off the computer, and they're all, like, frantic. They have no idea how to find them. Well, before we get too far into that, though, there's a couple things I wanted to say about the, uh, not just a million miles away, but the rest of the songs in the movie as well. Okay, you want to say it now? Yeah. Or you want to finish off, like, talking about the movie? No, we'll, we'll, after we finish talking about the movie, I, I'll, I'll save it. Okay. So, anyway, long story short, they kind of get some clues together. They kind of get a general idea of where the boys are located. And Susie's like, I gotta go, like, right now. So she, like, hightails it out of the room. The choir ladies kind of, like, showed up at one point. Two of them drive her to the um, train station. Because there are no flights left to get to Tokyo. Because they're out, like, in the boonies. Um, well, they're on a... Shit, what's the name of the fucking... I don't, I don't think it's... I couldn't remember. Honshu, Shikoku, Hokkaido. There's a... They're far away I from can't. Tokyo. I can't remember the name of that damn island. Because there's the four main Japanese islands. I can't remember. I can't, it's always the one I forget. It's the oval-shaped one, just south of Honshu. <laughs> Are you gonna? Do you want me to look it up for you? Would that make you feel no, better? No, I'll look so it up myself. My no, you keep finishing your thought. I'll look it up. Okay. So anyway, they kind of live out in the boonies. They have to get to Tokyo. Um, so she ends up taking uh, train and bus rides all night long. Um, so on the ride over to Tokyo at night, she texts her dad and is like, "Hey, sorry, I'm not gonna be home." This is when they have like a very touching moment between Suzu and her dad. And how he, he knows her, but you can tell that, like, he he hasn't wanted to, like, push her. And it's so sweet because, like, he recognizes that she's been super sad since 
her mom has died and that she is the person she is because her mom raised her and that she's a very kind person. And Susie's like, I don't know how I'm going to help these, you know, I don't know how I'm going to help these boys. And he's like, just be kind to them. Like your mom was kind, you know, to you and everyone else. And so it kind of gets her the strength that she needs. And it's just such a very, it's a very touching scene between her and her dad. Um, so she makes it to Tokyo the next day and she only has like a general idea of where they are. So she, you just see her running frantically trying to figure out where they are. Well, it starts raining just kind of like the day that her mom died and it's raining and all of a sudden she sees Tomo. Tomo's in the street. He goes, Belle? And, you know, they run over and... They hug, and then Kay comes out, and it's like, oh my gosh, you're actually here. And it's so touching, and then the asshole dad comes out, and it's like, what are you doing? Get back in this house. And, um, and Suzu protects them, and, you know, she's, she becomes, like, their protector, and even though she, um, she ends up getting, like, a bloody cheek, because the dad pulls on her face, and kind of cuts her face, but she stands up to him, and what's funny, it's kind of, she literally does the same thing she did when she was interrogated uh, with Justin in the world of you. I'm she, still convinced their dad was Justin. You never, I don't know. That's not I'm still convinced. <laughs> but she does the same kind of concept where she doesn't say anything, but she looks him dead on and does not waver. And because he's not used to someone sticking up to him, he literally trembles and falls over like an infant learning to walk. And scurries away like a fucking rat that he is. Yeah, it, it it is like it's like poetic justice at that point. And anyway, they you know, she exchanges some words with Kay and Tomo and, you know, helps them. And um it kind of becomes like full circle for her. Like her mom, you know, is trying to save a child and then she ends up saving two kids. You know, just by showing some kindness for them. And then, you know, she heads back home. Her dad is there waiting for her at the train station. And I think this is like the third or fourth time in the movie where he asks about dinner. She goes, yeah, let's have dinner. And on like just by that one, that one little thing, it's like you can see how far she came in the whole movie. Yeah. It's like uh, from that little scene, it's like their relationship is not fixed, but now they're in a place where they actually start being a father daughter. Yeah. Father and daughter again. Exactly. They're in they're in a place to start over again. Did you find the name? Yes, the I island? did. I had it right. Actually, it is Shikoku. Shikoku? Yeah. I was thinking of, I was thinking of Kyushu, but it it is Shikoku. I had it right. Okay. Well, they had to get all the way to Shikoku, Tokyo. Yeah. There you go. All right. So, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, the last big thing was I just want to talk about the songs in the film and all the songs in the film, and Florence, like, I'm sure you you might contest me on this, but that she wrote and performed, she was really writing and performing them for herself. Oh, you know? yeah. I agree with that. Like, she's really just seeing them for herself. And even uh, the last song, the last performance, A Million Miles Away, was originally meant to be for herself, but because of the situation that she found herself in, that is the song, and that is the first time that she has to perform for somebody else. Yeah. 
everything else was for her. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I don't know, that just really stood out to me. Because, like, you, you listen to the songs, and again, if you just take it at face value, it's, she's singing to her dead mom. Yeah. And then um, we hear the conversations of the like the the chat rooms and you people are like oh she's singing to me oh no she's singing to me and stuff like that and it's obviously reson- resonating with them yeah but just because that's how they feel doesn't mean that's the actual intent behind the song and oh, no, what the original yeah. intent was behind the song to me was her really just singing for herself yeah and just to reiterate one more time it's like the you know the lyrics were originally meant for herself for a million miles away. The performance was for someone else. It was for Kay and Tomo. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. I think that that marked a that marked like one of the the final that probably probably the final big hurdle yeah. that she had to surmount. I think in her growth. Yeah, I think that the first song she sings in you, and then ironically the last one she sings as herself in you. I think those two are by far the most impactful ones. And then I also feel like you you just you feel more of her and her character in those two songs. You get like you you get exactly what she's been trying or she what she's been holding inside the whole time. And I think that's super important because for Suzu, the way that her character was done in this movie She's a little bit elusive. Like, you kind of think you understand her, and then you listen to the songs, and you're like, well, fuck, I did not know at all how deep she was hurt. You know, like, you, you, like, you can, you, like you said, it's kind of like a face value thing. Like, you kind of see her as, like, this, like, you know, depressed little character and stuff, and you're like, oh, she lost her mom, that's understandable. But then, like, you listen to a song, that she sings, especially, like, the first one, and you're just like, damn. Like, she's truly lost. She, she's just, like, she just doesn't know how to save herself. Mm-hmm. You know, she she certainly doesn't know how to ask for help at all. You know? Yeah. And, like, people try to help her, and, um... And, you know, it's like she doesn't even want to take... She doesn't even want to take their hand. Yeah. It's like... Any movie worth seeing, well, at the very least, should be should have that decent face value uh, presentation, where the the setting is fit is uh, visually appealing, the characters are personable, but any truly good story needs to have that next level of meaning, and. Uh, I feel like Belle's story, Susie's story in this film has that. Yeah. I feel like it, and uh, Mama Rosota and the uh, the filmmaking team behind him, with him, uh, really managed to bring that across. Yeah, and the composer and yeah. all the people who worked Eric, on the music. Yeah. For sure. It's just, a, it's, it's, oh, it's such a good movie. Yeah. It's, it's a really good movie. I mean, um, we obviously have seen so many animated movies just collectively between us. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this one, like, it sounds so stupid, but, like, this one just, like, stands out to me a lot. I wouldn't say, and p- other people have said this, and I also, I would agree to a point, 
that this is not Mamoru Hosoda's best work, but mm-hmm. it's still a damn good film. It's, yeah. Like, they're... I mean, I'm sure there's people out there say like, "Oh, it's not his best work, therefore it's not really a good movie." No, it's definitely still a good. It's def. It's absolutely a good film. Yeah, it's a great film. I, I that that's one thing I, I've never quite understood. Like, I don't care if it's I don't care if it's a director's best work or not. I could still fully enjoy the movie. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. The Wolf Children is probably his top for me. I'm not gonna lie on that. But Bell is good. It is a it is a solid movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know if you haven't seen it, please give it a chance. It is so good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to speak. This isn't like a technical film review or anything like that. We're just here talking about the themes of the film. Yeah, and we'll like, be right about it. Obviously, I don't care about saying. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, I've said it. And, I mean, I think it's a good film. I think it's a great film, but. It's not really a review of the film. I'm just talking about the themes within the film is the main focus yeah. of the conversation. I want to. He talked about in um, and one of the like bonus things we were talking about that he based the main character off of his five year old kid who he noticed, uh, she's like really energetic and like like kind of like free spirited when she's at home but then whenever she goes to school the princess he calls her which yeah the princess i think is very on point for a dad talking about their little girl so. yeah um but whenever she goes to school she's a completely different person she's very shy and has like the one friend that she hangs out with and that's it um which i think it's so cute that i think it's i i don't i, I don't know if i should say cute i think it's i think it's cool that he recognized that in his kid and then realized that like to translate that into 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 making a movie where it's it's reality versus you know the virtual reality so like i don't know i just thought that was that was interesting that he said like he pulls a lot of his stuff from his family he says um in terms of like making a film and um this time his inspiration was his kid and um and I don't know. I just thought that was kind of cool. And I feel like comparing him to a couple other uh, very famous Japanese directors, uh, Mamoru Soda, a lot of his films he does are very family-centric. Yeah. Or at least the coming-of-age Yeah, coming-of-age, yeah. And a lot of inspiration, I feel like, does really come from his family. Yeah. Or, and he's or, not or the only le- one who or at does least, that. Or at least people around him. And then I feel like um, Makoto Shinkai, I feel like a lot of his inspiration comes from just, like, settings around him. Like yeah. the... the the settings for his stories visually oh are, are beautiful every, uh, t- every time. Every time, they're just spectacular. Oh my and gosh! Then, and then uh, Miyazaki sometimes gets inspiration from like family and people around him. But I feel, a, a lot of a lot of his stuff, though, in my opinion, is uh, very fantastical. And yeah, it's, it's, well, it's also, visions in his mind. He he also gets ideas from books like uh, *House Moving Household* was originally a book. Uh, Kiki's delivery uh, Kiki, service. Yeah, well. Kiki's was also a book. I remember specifically. I was watching this one um, documentary about how Miyazaki was talking about *Spirited Away*, and uh, the scene where she pulls the bike out of the water spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that's actually based off of a true story. Uh, they were cleaning out uh, a pond uh, when he was younger, and uh, the first thing, like a pond to like clean it up, because everyone just kept dumping trash into it. And the first thing that they um, pulled out of it was a bike, and so that's why the first thing she pulled out of the water spirit was a bike. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. 
But I think the I think the actual name of that river spirit uh, was the same name of the lake that they helped clean up. I think if you look somewhere in the movie or something, they have the name of it or whatever. So all three of these directors but, do take inspiration from their from their lives as a thing. Any, I think all good directors do because even if yeah. no matter how fantastical the world is, it has to be. They talked about this last. You have episode. to have something relatable. Yeah, we talked about this. I talked about this in the last episode with uh, Garvey and Ware. Is like it doesn't matter how fantastical the setting is or where you're at when you're playing games like D and D and stuff like that. There has to be something grounding you to reality. Yeah, and there there always will be. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I think that's uh, I going back to like what you were saying earlier when um when us as little kids we were reaching for that mature content. You don't get that in uh at least in America. Like think about it, Disney is all about it's, it's very and- well. It's very rare when Western animation does get mature. Or at least it was when we were little. Like every now and then, there would be like you'd be watching an anime series. I'm trying, I can't think of any specific examples right now, but there were like a few episodes here and there that were more mature. Yeah, and I think people remember those episodes. Even though I, I say I can't think of any off the top of my head at the exact moment, but people, those are the episodes that people our age nowadays remember the most. Yeah, they look I back think, on because they're the more meaningful ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think I just got one more thing, unless you got something. No, I don't. Go ahead. All right. Just uh, one more thing we were talking about earlier with the whole, like, what is happiness? Yeah. I think I have an idea for, uh, and honestly, the whole thing, all, all the things we discussed so far is probably getting more into it than uh, probably uh, the director probably ever intended or something like that. But uh, I feel like it's worth talking about. And hap- and what is happiness, as is presented in the film, the way it stands out to me, is having a responsibility and fulfilling that responsibility. I think that I think that is happiness. You understand what I'm saying? Um, my cat can nap on that. I don't get your I don't get your answer. At what, do you, all. what do you mean? I don't get your answer to what happiness. Well, is. true happiness to me comes from being. Fulfilled. It's not a dope. It's not just a dopamine hit, which I think is what a lot of people nowadays think about. Uh-huh. It's come from actually achieving something and fulfilling something, like really, you know. It's yeah. kind of. It's the satis- It's it's the satisfaction. Like when I'm working right now, and I feel when we get done building a pool, and we get done building the pool and it's standing up, water's going into it. And all like that, and you just like sit. You stand back and you look at it, and you kind of feel happy a little bit because it was your job to build it, put it together, and then when you achieve that, kind of makes you feel a little happy. You know, it like it was my responsibility to put that thing together, and I and I did that. Yeah. So now I feel happy about it. You know. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's where real happiness comes from is having responsibility and fulfilling that responsibility i feel like one of the reasons why i mean i've seen a couple of videos on this like people today in the modern world are just generally not very happy people especially in the west or was considered western are civilization happy yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of fake happiness going around <laughs> there's, there's so a lot of, there's a lot of do- there's a lot of dopamine hits but no real happiness not even dopamine hits i think a lot of the happiness that especially is like portrayed online mm-hmm. is um 
It's just for show. Yeah. Kind of like uh, the old lady in the movie. Oh, yeah. The her, one who her, had a baby avatar. Yeah, her, whose avatar was a baby. Yeah. Which we didn't really talk about, but. Yeah. yeah. Her whole thing was like, um, she just basically wanted to get away with stuff, but she also wanted to be recognized as someone successful and happy. Mm-hmm. But she created this whole fake persona on her um, social media. And anyone who challenges that is, like, harming her physically, she mm-hmm. she claims. Yeah. Or she feels like she's entitled to all these things because at some point in her life, somebody hurt her. Yeah. Which is sad. Yeah. Yeah. But... I don't know, just anyway, the, the, just the last thing that really stood out to me was that, uh, it, at least the way it explains to me, and disagree with it with me all you want, but I really think it's having, having a purpose and fulfilling it. I think, th- I think that leads to actual true happiness more than anything else does, you know? Yeah, that's good. All right, well, that, I think that probably wraps it up then, huh? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> Longest podcast on record so far. Uh, we need to stop doing such long ones. <laughs> but we only do it like once a month, so I feel like it's justified. I get so tired towards the end. Well, it's just because of the time we're recording. Yeah. Oh, really quick fun fact about Socrates. Uh, oh, his wife? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you gotta make me have to go what back and his, find her fucking name. What was her name? Uh, we had like a random conversation, and I was wondering about Socrates's like sons or if he had any or whatever um apparently his wife was not great and he had two sons but who was it who said that they weren't worth anything who was it it was one of his followers it wasn't one of his followers it was it was aristotle who said it who was plato's student who and plato, plato was, so- was socrates plato student. was socrates student. Yeah, yeah. So it was like so aristotle the, said that his sons weren't worth anything basically yeah. But Socrates' wife's name was uh, Xanthippe. 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 That's with the X, not a Z. Okay. Her name was Xanthippe, and apparently she was not a nice person. Well, I'm not even exactly sure. That might not be her actual name. That might have just been what she was called. But apparently, because apparently Xanthippe means like a shrew, Mm -hmm. a very disagreeable woman (laughs) (laughs) who's not easy to get who's not easy to get along with. (laughs) interesting because socrates was like in my the way that i perceive him is he was a very he was a smart person beyond his years for the age that he lived in and it's so sad that like he had sons yeah he had had three sons whose names i'm not going to bother looking up in this very moment because to quote aristotle Uh, they were dullards, not really worth much. Yeah. Uh, according well, according to him, it's just sad that like he had sons and like I I don't know what they were doing with their time, but clearly they never decided to sit and listen to their father talk. And I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of like a waste. You yeah, know, it's, like it's if like, I had a dad who was like who was like a philosopher like, or some shit, I would totally listen in on that. Mm-hmm. Like, but stuff like that's boring for kids. I mean, you're saying that now as like a twenty-something-year-old. I guess, but like, if I grew up on that, like, I feel like you would get something from it. But I mean, he probably wasn't. He wasn't a stay-at-home person. No. So. I mean, he didn't have a home. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure his wife and his kids stayed somewhere. Yeah, yeah. He but he himself was—he was. He was homeless. Yeah, he was sleeping in the gutters so. and all that, all stuff like that. Anyway. Fact, I just thought I should throw that out there because I don't think we have a quote, do we? Yeah, yeah I'm really slacking. 
he's slacking y'all. Anyway. Yeah, so, the, shoot, what was I going to say? Yeah, so Socrates was kind of like the one gem in his family line because his father was a stonemason. Yeah. Not really, uh, not the most, well, he would call it an old profession and it kind of is, but not the most exciting profession. Mm-hmm. And uh, his sons, as Aristotle said, there wasn't too much to say about them. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> they were just kind of there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, if y'all have any good anime recommendations, you should totally email us. You oh, you see- already know where it's going to come out, yeah. That's okay, I'm alright with that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Because last time you definitely were not. It's okay, I don't have to see him in person. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to um, listen to this. He's going to hear that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> where come at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine his reaction when he hears you say that. <laughs> um, his ass who's gonna jump in his truck and come down here so fucking quick. <laughs> I stand by he's gonna I call. Said. He's gonna call me and be like, Robbie, tell her I'm on my way. That's okay. I'll have my AK ready. Whoa, 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 calm down, calm down, calm the fuck down, calm the fuck down. That's my that's one of my best buds right there. No, I know. Um, no, but I stand by that. If um, anyone listening has ever watched a good anime you want to recommend, uh, please email us. I will 100% watch and comment on that. And then, um, yeah, let us know if you enjoyed this kind of a talk. Mm-hmm. I love anime, so I would totally be down to even do like a series on here. Um, no, we'll definitely talk about anime in the future, because like I was yeah. saying earlier with like the... The storytelling in anime, there's a lot to it. Yeah. Especially every now and then when you find a truly great show. Yeah. It's, it's like... It's like it's it's like a great gem, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there, there's... It's like you've been mining so your whole life, about. and then all of a sudden you come across that one pure gem. Yeah. Literally, that's how I feel sometimes. It's like Minecraft. You're just <laughs> looking for that one diamond in the rough. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, let us know... What you guys think, um, you know, our email's in the description. Just email us. Yeah. Um, Want to hear from guys. Just send uh, any emails to socrates.mountain at gmail.com for uh, any topics you really want to hear us talk about. Or if you have any suggestions to uh, any persons you want to recommend anything we should talk to about uh, this, that, and the other. Again, there's just not much that's off limits. Yeah. And again, if like I said in the last episode, if there's anything I feel like I'm uncomfortable with, I'll say so. And uh, we just won't do that until uh, maybe a later date or so on and so forth. Yeah, but this is our show. It's up to our discretion. But feel free to suggest the way. And we will take it to heart. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, until then, we'll see you guys later, right? Yeah. All right. This has been uh, Dylan and... Me. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Can't you do it one time? My name is not important. Okay. <laughs> Alright, this has been Socrates on the Mountain. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. What happened to all those ghosts out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what mean they're ghosts? They don't, they don't need a goodbye. Wow. Uh, all the ghosts out there, stay safe. Uh, learn something. And uh, feel free to send us an email once again at socrates.mountain.com. Bye. Bye.